Hey, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. My friend Patrick Patterson is in the studio. Patrick, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. So I asked you in here because I think your story is so interesting, and it's such a Portland story. Did you grow up here? I did. I'm a fourth-generation Oregonian. Fourth generation. And you were talking about how, like, before we went to air, we were sort of talking about this Derek Peterson scandal, I suppose, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. And um, since people can't see you, I suppose it's important to say you identify as black. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, not that you speak for all black people, but you did grow up in a church, although it was an Episcopal church, which seems like a far cry from the church that, that Derek was a part of. Right, right. Um, because I, I also grew up Episcopalian, and as my Baptist dad used to call it, it's the church of the let the good times roll. <laughs> sort of anything goes, like Catholic light or all the smells and the bells and no rules. Mm-hmm. And But you're an atheist now, which really makes you a Portlander, I think. Yes, especially you, being you a fit black in much better. Yes, you, <laughs> <laughs> you fit in much better here now that you're an atheist. Um, I don't know that that you're the person to talk about um, black religious culture, but I'm interested in your thoughts about Derek Peterson um, because I ran into a listener around town who heard me talking and turned around and said, you know, are you Kristen? And I listen to your podcast and what do I do about Derek Peterson? And I said, well, I'm still voting for him. And I did. I voted for him. And I'm just kind of interested in um, not necessarily your universal take on his categories, but I'm more interested in just your thoughts because you're smart and I respect your opinion. And um, I know you're really busy. So when we had we had a little group chat about it, I didn't hear you a lot, but I, I was kind of dying to know what you thought. Mm. Yeah, well, you know. I mean, you probably think he's his religion's nutty. Well, religion in general. Yeah, as in as a somebody who says this doesn't make sense to me, I'm out of here. As far as your church goes, right, right. But you know, in, in the black community, uh, religion is pretty integral. Um, I don't know many black atheists. I'm probably one of the few that you know. And you know, it's it's not just about your beliefs and going to church and you know checking all the boxes that you do this do that in church it's um, it's a cultural thing and a community thing so you know by not going you in a sense alienate yourself from that uh, community and that part of your culture right it's perfectly reasonable you know to assume that someone goes to church and they maybe don't believe every single thing in the bible or every single rule 
you know, it's the same thing with the black church, you know, black folks may have views or beliefs that don't coincide with the church, you know, at least not a hundred percent, but you know, there, there may be some overlap or likely is some overlap in the beliefs. And, you know, again, there's, there's the cultural and the um, community aspect of it. So, you know, it's really difficult to be uh, well-connected and fit in well in the black community at large if you've got a huge piece missing, that piece being religion. And see, I think a lot, I'm a Portland native as well, and I'm not as well-traveled as you are, but I do think that there is a piece, maybe because of, I was in an armpit of Seattle for a while that was (laughs) more diverse than it, it's like the number 23 diversity in America, more diverse than it was white, Um, Maybe it's because of that. My understanding is there is that cultural element, but I think a lot of Portlanders don't understand that. And when they hear, I I think they think all, maybe all black people are a monolith. We're we're probably the whitest big city in America. Mm -hmm. We're one of the least churched cities in America. And I think when you combine all of that, the idea that there would be a black person running for office that has a religious persuasion that may or may not be important to him, but is scary to everybody. I think it's, it's was very interesting to watch play out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that probably stems from people's uh, misconception. They don't understand, you know, where religion fit fits in. Uh, Right. You know, if, I don't know how many, you know, how many people in, in Portland have you know been down south or lived down there or really. Understand. Oh, I, I think very few. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, and you know, they just don't understand how it, it fits into the culture and community. So they think that that's a you know driving force. It isn't. It's just a compatibility module, if you will. I mean, there was the racial reckoning of 2020. We had, quote-unquote, jail support. As far as I know, that bail fund that got Muhammad Adan out of jail, the guy who is alleged to have killed his uh, girlfriend that had six children, um, they bailed him out. And what I didn't understand is why they want jail support for BIPOC alleged criminals. I mean, my understanding is their litmus test for people, at least at that time, was just, are you a black defendant? And he had a violent domestic violence history but here we have Derek Peterson who has as they kept saying they kept calling it ties to a church I don't even think anybody went as far as saying he was a member of this church and I can't even tell you what it was because it's not part of the four food groups but I it's some kind of ties to a church that they didn't like and then there was a pile on on to him until he dropped out of the school board race. And I didn't quite understand it until I dug into it because I kept hearing Christian nationalist. And when I hear that, I think white supremacy. And then I was thinking, well, is this like a Larry Elder situation when the LA Times called him the black face of white supremacy? Or what? are we supposed to believe Derek Peterson is some kind of KKK grand wizard? And I dug into that Rolling Stone article that was written. And apparently the argument is that this church that he was part of had a believe that January 6th was a good thing and they want to put people in office to bring 
make the United States a Christian nation, to have like a national religion. I just thought, I just found the whole thing patently absurd. The idea that a man would run for Portland Public School Board in order to springboard, as, as a springboard into making the United States a Christian nation. You've picked the wrong city, bruh. Like, I, this isn't, yeah. this ain't it. I mean, you and I were laughing ahead of time. Go down to Oklahoma. I mean, that's, that is our counterpart. That's Portland's crazy-ass counterpart on the right is Oklahoma. You, you could probably do a lot of damage over there. But here, I just don't see that happening. And what I think is so weird is that we, as a city, we seemed so obsessed with elevating people of color into leadership. I mean, when Julia Brim Edwards came in here, she was saying that she knew people who were telling her they were not voting for her because they wanted to hold space for women of color because their litmus test was, is this a person of color? I think Derek Peterson shows that's not the litmus test in this city. Mm-hmm. We don't care if you're a person of color. And actually, I'm, I'm so brainwashed from living here for too long that look at Renee Gonzalez. Uh, literally a person of color painted as a white nationalist, painted as some kind of white supremacist or something because he was running against a black woman. And again, on the racial hierarchy in Portland, Oregon, I suppose the black person wins, particularly after 2020 with the racial reckoning. But what I think is so interesting is if we're so obsessed with elevating people of color into leadership, we've now decided the far left has decided we're going to elevate Derek's opponent who was a retired white woman who frankly I think was very gracious um she made some comments she was asked to comment about Derek and she said things like I think it's guilt by association and she she said a lot of things that I really admired um but in the meantime Derek withdraws his I mean he was back and forth he was in he was out he but for a minute there, he withdrew his candidacy in humiliation, and I was so confused because I'm like, I thought we wanted diversity on the school board. I mean, after the school board became more diverse, there were, everybody was pumping out all these articles about what a diverse school board PPS suddenly was. And now the black guy's out and the white lady's in because he has, quote-unquote, ties to a church they don't like. And what struck me, what the only thing I could, the, the thing that kept popping up over and over again for me was... President Biden, who's a Catholic, um, and I think, you know, until JFK got into the presidency, there weren't any Catholics in the presidency. And the Catholics used to be a group that we did not like in the United States. And we were not going to bring them into any kind of office. And then, of course, JFK gets office and, and things start to change. But I still think it's been difficult for Catholics to get into office. And President Biden got a lot of criticism about, is he going to be anti-abortion? Is he, does he believe in the tenets of the Catholic Church? You know, the Catholic Church has a, has a spotty abuse history, to say the very least. And that, that was problematic. And he's going to the Vatican, and everybody's asking him questions about it. And I just thought, you know, this is a, literally an, a misogynistic, I think you could argue, um, no women in the priesthood gays are not getting married in the Catholic Church, and they're certainly not having sanctioned sex, even within civil marriage. And they're, and they're not priests um, openly, <laughs> certainly. I think there are plenty of priests closed. Uh, I, In fact, I think gays and women have kept the wheels on that thing for the last 
thousand years or so. Not that they'd ever admit it. But I, I just think it's fascinating that we have this president that has quote unquote ties, right? I mean, he's a confirmed Catholic. He's literally getting blessed by the Pope. And that's the anti-abortionist, anti-LGBTQ Catholic Church. And I know we hate him too. And after he got elected, Antifa rioted and F Biden and destroyed the Democratic headquarters. So he's not exactly in good graces. Uh, with the far left here in Portland. But I also think that most of these journalists that were doing these takedown pieces on Derek probably voted for him. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah, I think so. I'm sure I mean, I don't, who did they vote for? Yeah. Who did they write in Bernie? I mean, I don't think they voted for Trump. Yeah, in, in lieu of a better candidate, yeah. Um, and I thought Derek's statement about his beliefs was really clear. He said, for Pete's sake, this guy is a diversity trainer, he said in his statement he's an active advocate for LGBTQ rights. I mean, this just sounds Biden-esque to me. Like, he belongs to a church that is not compatible with a lot of his beliefs. I think that's true for a lot of us. And like you were saying, Patrick, a lot of us belong to churches, me included. I'm a new Catholic. I don't believe a lot of this. I don't, I mean, this, I, I don't think this LGBTQ treatment is good. I don't think it's good that women aren't priests. I don't think that stuff is any good. I'm pro-choice. You know, that I have a, a fair amount of beliefs that are incompatible as well. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that we can take a church's tenants and graft it onto somebody and say, therefore, we don't like you because you're part of a, a church that we think is nutty. And, and as, also, as you and I were talking about as an atheist, you were saying, like, a lot of this stuff is really nutty. If you break it down, like, you said something like, mm-hmm. take, take, like, an alien that just landed here and try to explain to them the story of Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. And see if they believe it. See if they swallow that. Yeah. Take, take an adult that is, has never, never heard any of this before. I mean, tell yourself the same story and just swap some characters, swap some names. How believable would, would that be? Or a similar story. It's just, it's just not... Yeah, I mean, I I just don't care about my school board's religious affiliation. As far as I know, public schools are not in the business of providing abortions or a religious education, certainly not at Portland Public Schools as far as the religious education. Abortions, who knows? Maybe, you know, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if well, that was happening Oregon. at an elementary school, frankly, in this state, but... <laughs> I want to vote for a school board candidate who most closely aligns with me regarding their thoughts on PPS and, and whose experience. And for me, that was Derek, and he had received support from Basic Rights Oregon. When Sharon came in here, she endorsed him. Julia Brim Edwards endorsed him. He had, I mean, he had support from Basic Rights Oregon. I just want to be clear about that. Multnomah Women Democrats. He was a certified DEI instructor for 25 years with the sheriff's office. Um, he said he was pro-choice. Again, everybody kept saying, well, your church isn't. Well, okay. I mean, Biden says he's pro-choice. Do you not believe him? Right. Well, I think there are many Catholics that are pro-choice. Me included. And <laughs> a lot of them live here in Portland. Um, here's some groundbreaking news, you guys. Being pro-life or religious does not necessarily make you an extremist. And I got a lot of mail from you all after Derek came on asking me if he was some kind of extremist. And if you listen to him, and if you read his statement, there is nothing extreme about that man. I've, I mean, I haven't known him forever, but I've known him for long enough and listened to his, some of you, you've listened to his informal conversations, Mm -hmm. even while, when there's some, 
I don't remember if he was drinking or not, but there was alcohol involved. And certainly there were excited utterances and um, spontaneous utterances from people around us. And it was a very, we've been around him in very loose, casual situations where people aren't really watching what they say. And I've never heard anything extreme from him ever I asked people who know him well. They've never heard anything. I mean, religious people, Portland doesn't understand. Religious people that are re- reasonable, they exist. There are non-extremists who are pro-life based on religious views about abortion that I respect, but I don't share. And according to Derek, he wasn't even part of that. Um, I don't think, even though President Biden believes in the holy authority of the Pope, uh, yeah, most Portlanders don't share in that belief, but most of us also don't think Biden is an extremist because of his religious views or affiliation or because we, myself included, overwhelmingly voted for him. And I think if you heard his episode, you would know that Derek and his family have been through hell and back with his disabled son. And I think that church was a big piece of support for him and his family. And like you were saying, Patrick, it's probably part of his community, even if he doesn't share all of its religious tenets, Mm -hmm. and even if he is high up in it. Um, And then I think we get to the part about, is he honest about his quote-unquote ties with this thing? And, you know, I didn't really dig into it enough to really care. Um, One thing that bothered me was that he was kind of jumping around in terms of whether he was in or out and whether he was going to take that position or not. Now, did she win? Patty won, right? Did Patty Sullivan win? I don't even know. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know either, actually. <laughs> I think the last time I was paying attention to that, I did vote for him. Um, so she yeah. did win. This is so interesting. She, she won. Did. So people were paying attention to this. She Because there's no way she would have won. But nobody even knew that woman's name until that Rolling Stone article was written. So it says she won by 55.6% of the vote. Um, so it wasn't a blowout. And it says, this is from the Oregonian. It wasn't a blowout, but still, it's kind of amazing. I don't think anybody could pick her out of a crowd. Uh, May 17th, 2023. And it says that uh, she, let's see. Um, this, it's an evangelical megachurch. Harvest International Ministries listed him as a board member for an affiliated anti-abortion rights nonprofit called One Race for Life. And he said he didn't know how the church got his information. He said he attended a conference sponsored by them where he was recognized as an apostle. He referred to himself as an apostle. He... So well, I, th- I think what they were upset about is, is he part of this church? Is he not part of this church? I mean, I, I think I would have appreciated it if he would have just said, you know, I'm, I'm part of it, but it, its views are not compatible with mine, and that's typical of many religious people. And I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what church he attends, and I did not harangue him about it because he's been through so much with his son. I mean, a lot of people were like, well, did you ask him? No, I didn't ask him because I want to leave him alone. He's been through enough. And then Mm -hmm. he was publicly humiliated with this church thing. And frankly, I don't give a crap about any of it. Uh, But I know a lot of you do. And so I thought it was important to address it. And now we can turn to my dumbass voting for 110 <laughs> and being featured on Fox News because of it. As my 11-year-old said, Mommy, did you just humiliate yourself on national TV? And I said, probably. 
<laughs> if any, I had never heard of the program, but there is a program called like American News This Morning or something in which many people uh, who watch Fox saw, and they would have seen me say that I did vote for 110, and I, I certainly uh, don't feel good about that vote, and I wish I could take it back, and I think a lot of people are with me because John Horvick yeah. just released that poll mm -hmm. saying that 60-some percent of Oregonians would like to take their... 60-some uh, 60, 60 percent of Oregonian voters do not support 110, and 110 passed handily, so I think yeah. a lot of us regret that vote and think that 110 has contributed to homelessness and crime, which I am 100% in agreement with. It's yeah. that was a it's a horrific measure. It was had I known had I known the etymology of the measure, there is no way that I would have pursued that um, that I would have voted for 110. And I think one thing that's important to know is that a organization called the Drug Policy Alliance is who sold us that. And if I had dug into it and realized where they were coming from and what was going on with that, there's no way that I would have voted for it. Um, I now know that it's they started with uh, legalizing marijuana, and now it's 110, and soon it's going to be safe injection sites. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm curious, what did you think it was going to do? When I read when I read the text of it, my first thought was, okay, well now the police cannot apprehend somebody, you know, arrest them, and then put them in front of a judge who can make them choose jail or rehab. That was my first thought. That that pathway has just been demolished. Well, it turns out that you were correct. <laughs> oh. And I am a dumbass. Um, so here, so I went back. So before I was on Fox, I did go back and look at the voters pamphlet mm -hmm. because I wanted to find out what, as I said, on air, actually live, what the heck I was thinking. <laughs> and it talks about recovery treatment. And in the recovery, quote unquote, recovery world, which literally means sober, which means detox and rehab, um, that's a buzzword. Recovery is, is a, a code word. It's a code word for detox and rehab. Harm reduction are code words for needles and foil. That's and I didn't see there. harm reduction. In the, see, I didn't read the measure. I'm a moron. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm the idiot lawyer who did not read the measure. But the summary said recovery treatment centers. It said it was going to uh, make make it so that... I, I See, I thought they were selling us the Portugal model. And in, in Portugal, drugs are decriminalized, yes, yeah. but they have centers, that things called centers for dissuasion of addiction. Mm -hmm. And they're not drug court. So I, I thought, okay, well, they'll bring them to... And my understanding was there would be recovery treatment available and that they would be steered towards that as an, it would be like drug court but a non-criminal no non-criminal way to do it like a there's you know like penalties a, like, attached like a, a carrot and no stick 
No, like there are sticks, but the sticks are things like, um, you know, no public drug use. Like I, I really thought you could still be arrested for public drug use. I thought you could be arrested for... Um, why not? And why not? And if we need, if the city council needs to pass a measure saying we're banning public drug use, we freaking should. Um, I also thought there would, I didn't think there would be open air drug markets. I mean, the, even if you read the measure, it doesn't say that the selling of drugs is lawful. It's not, it's supposed to not be. Um, the, the bike squad, if you go to Instagram, um, that really awesome bike squad account, they're arresting people for selling drugs right and left. Uh, PPB Central yeah. Bike Squad, that account is fire. That is w- worthy of being on Instagram alone yeah. to just yes. watch the activity on that account. And they're always nabbing people selling fentanyl. So, no, I thought I thought that was still going to go on. Now, I, did, I, did I foresee the, defund, the complete dismantling of the police department coming? No. Absolutely not. Yeah, so that, I think, in conjunction with 110, was part of our downfall. Perfect storm. Yep, yep, you're right. The yeah, confluence of, yeah. Two. So I didn't, I didn't foresee open air, foresee a dismantling of the police department. I abolish the police? I had never heard that argument before 2020. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I'm living under a rock, but I have lived in Portland. I am a Portland native. I've lived here for a lot of years. And I never heard that argument before. And all of a sudden, people were seriously, I mean, people I consider to be really smart people were seriously arguing that we need to dismantle entirely the police force. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard that outside of, of movies. And that, that's that's always... <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, so you don't I, know, you've never met an intelligent person, even though you live here, you've never met an intelligent person who has argued to you that we should dismantle the police. Uh, well... Abolish versus dismantle, D- different things. Right? Okay. The, the 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 rhetoric. I've heard both. Yeah. So from the, smart people, I did hear. I don't hear them talking that way anymore, but I did. Yeah. Now that they've learned, well, you know, the rhetoric I've heard is, you know, defund, take take money, put it towards upstream programs. You know, we've plugged the tank, and now all this water is just sitting on the floor, causing causing problems, and there's nothing to address it. So. Well, now, now we freaking know. And mm-hmm. when you read the background brief on Measure 110 that was put out by the legislature in 2020, even though Measure 110 sold us on this policy to fund, quote-unquote, drug treatment, it literally defines treatment as harm reduction. So it says that the re- addiction recovery centers, again, that word recovery, but the addiction recovery centers it funds must be must is the word evidence informed whatever that means trauma informed whatever that means mm. culturally responsive i mean just a huge word salad patient centered i guess that i get but how is how are how is drug treatment not patient centered yeah. um non-judgmental okay i mean if you're a doctor you're probably not judging your patients you're probably seeing a lot of sick people mm-hmm. and centered on principles of harm reduction mic drop there we go that's where we just take a wrong turn right off of a yeah. cliff and that's where we are not engaged in the portugal model which is focused on recovery from drugs which is why they send you to the commission for dissuasion of drug addiction this was all put together the architect of this his name now i know all this i've learned it all through the north america recovers coalition it was put together by Jao gulao in portugal 
And he says, you know, if you're engaged in public drug use in Portugal, you will be arrested and you will brought, be brought to this Commission for Dissuasion of Drug Addiction. And you will be very, uh, very heavily persuaded to get off of drugs because, as he says, by the time you're out on the street engaged in public drug use, your life has become unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when Portugal first discovered democracy, they were all doing drugs. They had the worst drug problem in Europe. And then they did this radical experiment where they decriminalized. And then all of a sudden, the amount of people using drugs dropped. Their overdoses dropped. And everybody wanted to know how they did it. Well, this that's how they did it. They continued focusing on, like you said, Patrick, they had sticks. And they continued focusing on recovery as opposed to just handing out Needles. Now, do they do needle exchanges and and engage in in some kind of harm reduction? Of course, they do. It's part of the continuum of care. But mm-hmm. that is not the goal. Is not how do we get everybody to just do drugs and then we'll narcan them every time they stop breathing? That's not yeah. their focus. That, that seems to be our thing. focus in this city. Yeah, um, enabling, and that's right. You know. I, I was in Portugal last uh, fall. Okay, well, let's talk about it. So did was, you see a bunch of public drug use? No, I saw none. I mean, Did you, know, you see any the, tents? Nope, not one tent. I mean, Did you the, see needles? Nope, no needles. I mean, I, I, I was, uh, you know, offered uh, cocaine and, you know, the usual party crap in the the bar area. But Really? Yeah. But in no. Lisbon? Yes, Lisbon. But that's it, right? Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that's different about Portugal, it's, uh, it's a, a smaller population, okay? So yes, much smaller. Smaller, and it doesn't have open borders. But I don't know. It's smaller than the U.S. I don't know that it's smaller than Portland. Because Portland is kind of the epicenter of this 110 epidemic, notwithstanding Medford, which is, as they call it, Methford, and notwithstanding, like, Salem and Eugene, I do think Portland, everybody would agree, is the epicenter of this. Yes, you're right. And, you know, you can walk right across the state line, no problem. You know, hang out here as long as you can. And and they do. We know they do from the point in time count. Yes. And that's not the way it works in Portugal or any other, you know, European. No, that's right. I, I mean, you cross the border, there are armed guards, and they want to see your papers. Yeah. And they are going to see them now. Yep. And, you know, even if they, they don't, I mean, I know places where you can cross from Germany to Switzerland back and forth without a passport. I forgot mine one time and had to do that. But, you know, but if you end up on drugs and out on the street doing all kinds of crazy mess in Portugal, you're not just going to hang out. It, it, it doesn't work like that there. I think it's important, too, and I didn't understand. I was asleep. I'll be honest. In 2020, I mean, Patrick, it wasn't until really the the school shut down. I mean, 2016, Charlie Hales with the safe sleep, quote, unquote, oh, where the homeless can sleep wherever they... Well, that, yeah. That was the beginning of the end. And yeah. I, I agree. I remember that. And I remember yeah. thinking that, too, that this is going to be the beginning of the end. We're never going to be able to roll this back to this mm-hmm. day. We haven't been able to. Yep. I don't know that anybody has really tried, but we certainly haven't. All the lip service, uh, Wheeler, et cetera, has paid to it. Mm-hmm. That's not working. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, no, that was coming down the pike and then it got really out of control in 2020 when people were with impunity throwing commercial munitions at the federal courthouse and setting the jail on fire. And I just remember thinking, um, wait a minute, like we're for this. It like, you couldn't 
really in good company. Um, first of all, it's Portland, so a lot of people didn't want to hang out anyway, not even outside without a mask, certainly. Even if you were outside, everybody had a freaking mask. mask. And we were one of the few places with the pleasure of two outdoor mask mm-hmm. mandates. I remember that. Um, so, so there wasn't a lot of company that people were around, but to the extent you were around them, it was not okay to say, I'm not good with what's going on downtown. It was seen as, well, hey, if this is the price we have to pay, like like Mike Schmidt basically said to the media, well, if we, oh, God, if it, it takes some, you, you break some eggs to make an omelet. Like, look, I'm not, I think he said something like, I'm not in the dark about the fact that violence has happened prior to good good policy on race. And so, and that was just kind of a green light to all these people and yeah, not something yeah. the DA should be saying, certainly. Absolutely not. Um, but I think the consensus sort of publicly, or at least the loud people, the consensus was, we, I mean, they said over and over again, we care about bodies more than we care about windows. I mean, the idea was like, if we break enough windows, I guess maybe the police will never shoot another black person or, or yeah, suffocate another black person. That's the ticket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you agree with that, though? I mean, don't you think that the at least out loud consensus was that you couldn't talk about stuff like that. Yeah, that that was. Were um, people surprised if they learned that you, as a black man, were not down with burning down the federal courthouse? Definitely, definitely. Um, <laughs> tell me I lean conservative and so on and so on. They but, told you you lean conservative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm... I'm just reasonable. I'm, I'm rational. I mean, you know, I, Which I is like an insult around here. Yeah, I like law and order. I mean, you know, I crime I, is not progressive. You guys like that was what was so crazy is this idea that crime here. was pro- it is progressive. It's progressing here. in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly progressing here. So I've been looking in. So since I voted for this idiot measure, and since my eyes have been opened. Mm-hmm by what has gone on around here and and the decline that the city, the precipitous decline the city fell into really beginning in 2016, but absolutely took a nosedive in 2020. I've since learned that like drug policy action is the 501c4 arm for the drug policy alliance, which brought us 110. Mm. And drug policy action has an Oregon branch. In 2014, they began with the measure to legalize marijuana. Yep, remember that. Yep. And in 2020, they toot on their website, their horn about how they made history in Oregon by decriminalizing drugs for the first time ever in the United States. (laughs) And look at it. And look at it, right? (laughs) We made history, all right. Right. And New York-based drug policy action has contributed $2.17 million to more treatment for a better Oregon is what it's called. Yes on 110 PAC. And that was written about in... Oregon Capital Insider. Is that treatment like harm reduction treatment? Right, that's exactly. So again, they call it treatment. And I think everybody goes, oh my God, we need drug treatment. Because post Charlie Hales, we all looked around and saw bodies all over the place, Mm -hmm. passed out on, now it's fentanyl. But at the time, before fentanyl was in everything, it was meth and heroin, Heroin, which is still It's still going on. So uh, I I work at the, the Broadway Tower. I... The old Raven and Rose. I walk out one day. Right. That was a really nice bar and restaurant. Uh, loved it. Yeah. 
so there's a guy sitting on the when steps. When did that place go out of business? Oh, I think around... Uh, was it 2020? Yeah, maybe sooner. Well, no, no, it was 2020, around COVID. Yeah. So I walk out, and, you know, there's a guy prepping his needle full of heroin, right? I'm like, what the hell? So I look across the street in the coffee shop. You know, there's a couple of police cruisers parked there. I walk in there and talk to the officers. I said, hey, turn around and look at that guy. And they said, well, you can't really do anything. It's, it's legal now. There's, there's no point. I'm like, what? Since when is public drug use legal? Right? Yeah, so I said that. Like, I, I understand it's you know decriminalized, but you can't just shoot up in public right. like that, Right, decriminalized is different than legal still. Yeah, than legal to use in a I mean, they're handing space. out... Par- they were, at that time, prior to COVID, they were handing out parking tickets right and left. <laughs> You'd think they'd be able to hand that man a citation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So nothing came of that. You know, I'm headed westbound, and there's a guy, it's like 7.30 in the morning, there's a guy sitting there with his arms crossed, just shooting up. I'm like, oh, okay. Good morning. And, you know. Now it's day rigor. Yeah. And, you know, growing up here, I mean, I remember when the crack epi- epidemic was going on. And, yeah. you know, when I used to rollerblade all over town and bike ride. Where did you grow up? What quadrant? Uh, Northeast Portland. Mm-hmm. So what's now the Irvington neighborhood. But, you know. Back but at in the, the time, it was not. Yeah, in the 80s gentrified. and 90s. No, it was not. I mean, uh, backyard bird shop, one hour martinizing cleaners, and. Did your family have any money? I mean, yeah. So <laughs> you did not grow up like poor. No, no, did not grow up poor. So I'm interested in why they chose, or maybe they didn't choose. Maybe they would say, "Look, we're a black family, and we're living in Northeast Portland." Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested in why they went for Northeast and not, like, Southwest Hills or... Something to that effect. Well, it's my understanding that my grandmother owned the house that I came home from the hospital to. Mm. She sold it to my mom and my dad when they got married in 1974. So, at the time, you know... My dad also grew up in that house. He was born in 1948. So... You know, he'd, he'd been in that house for a while. And then, you know, my grandmother sold it to him. And you, know. you think about that now, that's almost unheard of. The idea that these multiple... Julia Brim Edwards lives in the mm-hmm. house she grew up in, which is so interesting. It's amazing that the, there are still some multi-generational families in these houses. Yeah, well, I mean... It's always on the east side, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, well, I mean, blacks are not going anywhere near the, the west side. That's... You know, you know the whole story with Vanport, right? They, they would have right. stayed siloed in Vanport had it not flooded. But, you know, what kind of bugs me is, you know, the, everyone seems to know that there's a lack of uh, generational wealth in the black community, right? Yep, especially in Oregon, where mm-hmm. we uh, made it off limits to basically be a resident in the state. And then, as you said, we moved everybody to Vanport, and then there was a flood, and and they pushed it were moving back into the middle of the state and towards Portland. Mm -hmm. And that's really how we ended up with black communities. And that's part of why we're such a white state. Yeah. And North and Northeast Portland bore the the brunt of that. And it was redlined. So, I mean, if you think about it. It was redlined. Yeah. And, you know, my my dad growing up, you know, had a home in, in, in Irvington at the time. That was pretty much unheard of. There were, when I was born, there were three black families on that entire block. 
Wow. Now, obviously, they're all gone. I think from Siski clear up to not. Hmm. Uh, there was one, two. So between Siski and not, let's talk about five black families. So are th- is the black population that is getting pushed out was uh, Lionel Irving correct when he came on and said they're going to East County? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 where that's where it's affordable. That's it's and it's obviously far more diverse. Like if you look at da- the well, population of David Douglas. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, back in, in the nineties it wasn't. I remember going out there with a friend. East County was not affordable. Not diverse. Oh yes. Like okay. it is now. Keep yeah, keep East telling counties. us about that because I don't have a memory of that. Yeah, so I mean I can remember going out there in the the nineties, you know, like ninety five, ninety six with I'm some sure friends. You're right. Yeah. It was country, right? Yeah, I remember my, my dad saying, I told him, yeah. Farms. Yeah, I was like, oh, we're, we're going to meet some girls. They live off on 22nd. He's like, you you be careful out there. He's like, you, you watch it. Like, oh, he, really? Yeah, he, he warned me. He told me about a time when he was um, he was driving down 82nd, and you know, the police stopped him, you know, pulled him over. And uh, they're like, you know, what are you, what are you doing out this far? You know, go, go back. <laughs> go back. West. Go back to north, northeast Portland. Yeah, right? Wow. And, you know, granted, that was the 70s, mm-hmm. um, probably mid, early 70s. Do you get stopped? I mean, I know you ride your bike a lot. If you're no. driving, do you get stopped? No. I mean, and, and that's, you know, maybe. Uh, it's just obviously not your experience. I'm just fortunate. No, it's just not my experience. I've never been pulled over for not doing something. You know, I've definitely been pulled over for stupid stuff, like improper execution of a left turn, right? 122nd Division. I made a left turn. Um, I was headed eastbound on Division, made a left turn onto 122nd, headed uh, northbound, didn't turn into the southernmost lane. So, I'm sorry, westernmost lane. So, you know, I get pulled over. It's like, oh, yeah, improper execution of a left turn. I get a ticket. It's like, come on. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> but, you know, Whatever. I mean, like I said, I've, I've never been pulled over for not doing something. Now, I know people that apparently have been, but I wasn't with them, so I, I don't know. You mean credible people that you think, when they talk about it, you think, oh, it sounds like maybe you're profiled or... Yeah, you you could have been, yes. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously it And obviously it happened. Your, maybe your dad was. Yeah, yeah. But that was a different time, right? yeah. I mean, that was that was before I was born, and, and that's what was going on then. I mean, well, now I think a lot of people don't understand. Uh, the federal government w- requires you, at least it might be all police departments, but certainly mm-hmm. the Portland Police Department, every time you pull somebody over, you have to write down the perceived race of the person that you stopped. That's yep, before you have to enter it into over. the computer. I mean, it's just at some point. So usually it's, I mean, on my ride along, it was after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's the perceived race of the person, and they keep stats on that. Yeah, well, it's it's funny. I, I've <laughs> I remember getting pulled over one time and looking at the ticket, and the officer marks white for the race on me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? Okay, like, dude. Yeah, I thought okay. Are you I mean, colorblind? Are you literally colorblind? He doesn't see color. <laughs> one of those, yeah. And I mean, one it, of those. <laughs> yeah, and I went like it. I don't think it was even. I don't remember. Did you think at the time, are you trying to help your stats or something? I mean, did you think at the time, dude, write down that I'm black. Like, you just stopped the black guy. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and this was before, you know, all the, the, you know, the the racial reckoning that Mm -hmm. went on. And, but, you know, I, I find that I conduct 
myself and I carry myself differently than other people of my race. What do you mean by that? I just, I just do, you know, when, when I'm stopped, the first thing out of my mouth is not what did I did do? I haven't done nothing like, like really? Okay. I mean, the officer pulled me over. I'm going to tell him I didn't do anything. He's going to apologize and thank me for telling him that I wasn't doing anything and go on about his business. <laughs> I mean, I'd be skeptical of someone if I pulled them over. And that's the first thing out of their mouth. I didn't do anything. Why you pull me over? Like, oh, okay, right. You know, it's simple. Put your hands on the dang steering wheel. License, insurance, registration. Don't scream. I know my rights. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I remember... Don't Fling open the car door and scream, I know my rights. Yeah, or, or go for the glove box or just do anything anything sudden, right? You turn on the dome light and you leave your hands up there. It's it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, I, I think, think there are a lot procedure. of white people in Portland that probably do things like that. Yeah, well, maybe they can they can, they can get away with it. That's, you know. Well, it's Portland. Yeah, but that's not how I do. And uh, it's funny because I can remember one time I was at the coast, Lincoln, I think it was Lincoln City, mm. but I'd been uh, pulled over and uh, I was just... I don't know, I was peeved about something. But uh, anyhow, um, I said, here's my license insurance for registration. He said, do I have you, do you know I pulled you over? I said, I have no comment. Here's my license insurance registration. He said something else. I said, I have no comment. So I figured, if I'm going to get a ticket, I'm going to get a ticket, right? And I was just, you know, very... Did you get a ticket? No, I'm dying to know what you did. <laughs> no, I did not get a ticket. Okay, <laughs> well, was, apparently that works. No comment, no shocking. comment, no comment. Yeah, but I did have uh, two gals and one guy in the car. Do so you think maybe it made a difference that you had a car full of people as opposed to, mm. like, it looked like you were partying or something? I don't know. I mean, it was during the day. It's hard to say. I mean, it's not like he couldn't have said, okay, here you go. Here's your ticket. Have a nice day. And just went on about his business. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I guess that's probably the most belligerent, if you will, I've been when <laughs> I've been pulled over. But I just... Yeah, Which is I, not at all. That's yeah. your point. Yeah. But, you know... As long as, you know, being respectful to the officers and, you know, that's, that's it. You just keep it, keep it simple. You, you're a very successful person in Portland. Tell me about your, what's your educational history? Ah, so going, going back uh, between public and private school, actually I spent most of my time in, in private school. Uh, kindergarten and first grade, I went to Saban Elementary, you know, which is now in Irvington. Which is a great, now a great elementary school. I don't know what it was like when you were there. Um, it was, it was pretty good. It was uh, rather diverse relative to what it's like now. But, oh, um, I'm sure. <laughs> but anyhow, just um, like I said, kindergarten and first grade I spent there. Then I went to a, a Catholic school. <laughs> Off of uh, 20... Which one was that? Was that All Saints? Which one was that? Madeline. Oh, the Madeline School. Yeah. Yep. That's a great... That's, as far as I know, a great school. I don't know. What was your experience? It, it was a good school. Uh, How did you end up there? But mom put me in there. Yeah. So... Uh, they, it, were, they didn't like Sabin? It wasn't... They, they didn't think it challenged me enough. So uh, it, it was. Funny. Were you one of those Doogie Housers? Did you skip a bunch of grades or anything like that? No, but, but I. You I, were like in talented and gifted and. Yeah, although ironically, I, I never made it into tag in, in Saban. What? Yeah, which was ridiculous. 
Did they do? Did they do? So they don't do tag now in uh, Catholic school. Did they do it at Madeline? No, there was no tag at Madeline. Tag was only at Portland Public School. Right. So the idea is that sort of like everybody, I guess, in which is a wrong that everybody in private school is quote unquote talented and gifted, which is absolutely wrong. There are probably oh, actually yeah. more kids in PPS that are literally talented and gifted than um, kids in certainly Catholic school, but. But anyway, so um, so then you went, you yeah. go to Catholic school, and then yeah. what about high school? So high school, I went to Catlin Gable. Ooh, la di da. For a couple of years, yeah. Talk and about white. What was that like? Wait, was that during the abuse alleged abuse scandal? Mm. Or was that before your time? No, in fact, one of the one of the gals in my class. Is one of the alleged victims. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm not gonna say her name. That's terrible. Yeah, I was shocked. Well, I. Well, you were shocked. So there was no, nobody had an inkling about any of this when you were there. You never heard rumors or anything. Well, there about was those teachers. Uh, what was the guy Bob Bob Ash? When I was in sixth grade, there was. Uh, Has some... that individual been arrested? I actually don't even know the history. Oh, I think he's passed by by now. Did he die? Okay. Yeah. Him, um, Dick Shoemaker, uh, and even the English teacher. But um, yeah, I do remember hearing about that, but it was just kind of uh, of rumor. Nothing really, really came of it. And then this this information broke later. But uh, you know, Catlin was a it was a great school. Um, you know, back back then, it wasn't as diverse as it is now. Was it that ungodly expensive like it is now, like thirty grand a year or whatever? I mean, in those dollars. When I was in high school, it was about ten grand a year. And that was probably was that a big sacrifice for your family? Yes, but I didn't go. I guess my parents could afford tuition like that. <laughs> I was there because I had an academic scholarship. Oh, you did. Okay, how did, and how did you end up landing that? Your your mo- that was your mom's idea. Like, I think you can get a scholarship here. Let's go take a test and see what we can do. Yeah, that's right. I had to take a test, and she had to uh, fill grant, out some forms. Yeah, grant right, if you will. Right, like basically, was it was it there some kind of proof of income involved too, or was it just literally I'm, academic? Like this guy's talented. Let's just bring him in and pay pay for him to come here. Yeah, I'm sure there was proof of income because we had to they had to submit documentation to the financial aid office. Oh, okay. And such, but uh, that's a wonderful opportunity. It was, and ironically, how many black kids were in your class? One. Just you. One. Other, one other kid. One other kid. And yeah. you were going to say, ironically. Sorry, uh, I so I, there. yeah, ironically, my uh, my mom put me in Catlin Gable because she didn't think I was challenged enough at uh, Madeline. <laughs> Just funny. So first, I'm not challenged enough at Saban. Then I'm not challenged enough at Madeline. Did you so feel she, challenged at Catlin? Oh yeah. Did she feel that you? I guess the bigger question is, did she feel that you were challenged enough at Catlin? She did. Uh, I certainly felt so as well. And you know, n- not only academically was it challenging, but also um, socially as well, right? Because you know, obviously, my family wasn't the same socioeconomic. Um, category as a lot of the other students there. Well, a lot of those families probably didn't even live in the city of Portland, or they, like, probably yeah. a lot of, like, Beaverton, like, Oswego yeah. families. Yeah. 
it, it, yes, almost almost all of them. It and just, to the extent they lived in Portland, they probably didn't live in Northeast. Oh no, de- definitely not. They they wouldn't. Or anywhere on the east side. Yeah, back then. I, well, I, my first year there was. I think a lot still don't there. live on the east side. No, no. I mean, even you know, in Alameda and Lowerhurst, I, I don't think many send their kids to um, to Catlin. I know some families in Southeast, but they're it's funded by family members. It's not funded by the parents. Mm, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But, um, you know, overall going there, uh, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't want to strip that out of my, my history. It, uh, no. Yeah, it was, you no, know. of course not. Yeah, it was just. It probably changed your life academically. It, it did. It changed my life and it opened my eyes, right? So it's not that. So socially, I can't, I, don't, I guess we need to nail this down. Socially, did you have a, obviously academically, you had a great experience. Socially, was it a bad experience? Uh, I said it wasn't the best because I, I don't think I fit in as well as, as some other people. And I, were you treated poorly? Uh, to, to an extent, you know, I did have some, some friends at Catlin. But, um, well, that's not a ringing endorsement. I did have some friends yeah. in high school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I certainly wasn't the most popular or as popular as I was. Which is weird, because people can't see you, but you're a good-looking guy. You're a fit guy. Um, and I don't know what you were like growing up, but I'm assuming you weren't that far off. You're smart. Um, you're interesting. You're interested. You're curious. Yes, yes. It, it definitely wasn't always like that at uh, at Catlin. I mean, it's a, a different demographic there. Most people hadn't... I mean, some kids hadn't even seen me. They were, like, confused that I was black because I didn't look black, if you know what I mean. I, so you're saying that because your skin is um, somewhat... They, they, they assumed that there were no, like, lighter-skinned black people in the world? Pretty much. That's what it seemed like. Oh, that's were, Portland, isn't it? <laughs> Especially 1989, yeah. Portland, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. West, West Hill. No, I only had one um, black. I mean, I didn't go to private school, but I only had one black kid in my class too, mm-hmm. and she was like adopted, <laughs> and uh, I think her mother had was troubled or dead. So you did not have a good. Did you play sports in high school? I did. I played varsity tennis at Catlin Gable. Varsity tennis, and you still felt on the outs socially. Yeah. Yes. And were people cruel to you? No, not not so much. Not overtly, but it was implicitly like you don't fit in here. Yeah, yes, it was. It, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I, I wasn't getting brand new SUVs for my 16th birthday. You know, I wasn't going to you know Paris or skiing Whistler for Christmas vacation. Oh my God. Oh, although you know now it's kind of fun doing that stuff. But see, it, that that was the thing, that sort of thing. Even though I didn't do it. I thought, you know, that sounds cool. That that sounds fun. Like, that's first time I skied was because of the Catlin Gable trip, experiential days, right? And I absolutely love skiing. <laughs> it's fun. And you know, doing hearing about these things and doing some of them really exposed me to um, other things. You know, let, let let me know what was out there, right? I'm not just satisfied with you know my home in Northeast Portland. It really expanded my horizons. And, you know, just because, you know, more, more wealthy people do some things doesn't mean they're not fun to those that aren't as wealthy. I mean, they're fun as all get out. <laughs> so. 
so that imparted some of those things in me, and I, I still enjoy them to, to this day. Did you learn tennis there, or did you play tennis before? Because tennis also sounds like a rich white sport. Tennis is not I know, tennis a sport is... that I ever got into. It sounds like a rich white sport. <laughs> no, so I learned tennis at uh, this program. Well, first I started taking lessons at the Portland Tennis Center. And, uh, you know, it was kind of just to go through the motions. I didn't really feel like I was taking a lot out of it, right? There was a lack of ROI on that investment. So we learned about this program called uh, Kids in Tennis. It's headed up by uh, a guy, Don, Don Johnson. He, he lives in Texas now, but um, it was more like a A lot grassroots. of people live in Texas now. <laughs> I they know. used to live here. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> we learned all about it from the Anthony Effinger article in yeah. Lama Week. Yeah. yeah, and Don's, Don's a black guy, too, so... Wow. Yeah, he's in, he's in Texas. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> you learned tennis from a black guy in Portland? Yeah, he, he coached uh, tennis at Wilson. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, because of him playing with kids in tennis, I, I made it to the Junior Olympics in 1995. Oh, my God. Patrick, I did not know this. <laughs> you were in the Junior Olympics? Yeah, Des Moines, Iowa, Holy 1995. Holy shit. Yeah, it was, was freaking awesome. It was, <laughs> that was an experience. That was an experience. Whoa. How many people from Portland went to the Junior Olympics that year? Was it just um, you? No, no, no. It was myself. And so we represented the Pacific Northwest, right? And it was myself, uh, two other gals, and one guy. So it was the, the four of us. We were, wow. the, we were the team. And uh, yeah, that was fun. Um, Des Moines, what happened Iowa. there? It was um, it was extravagant. My first time in heat and humidity like that. Um, the the lightning storms were amazing. God, this is incredible. And yeah. you were still in high school at that was the time. Fifteen, yeah. Holy Summer of cow. Fifteen Junior Olympics. Yeah, so I just finished my freshman year. And then what happens after that? Are you still going to the Junior Olympics year after year, or did no. you peak at fifteen? I'd say I pretty much peaked at fifteen. Yeah, that sucks, but still amazing. Yeah, still then, amazing. Then I broke my my leg a year later. And no. <laughs> yeah. No. What skiing? Doing some other white sport? <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't that. I good was at skiing. skiing yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was um, a car accident. Oh wow! I'm sorry. Yeah, my car. Wow, Jesus. But but it's healed. I still have a titanium rod in there, so it's likely not going to break again. Oh my God! I'm sorry. <laughs> so. Holy crap! But, Holy yeah. cow! Yeah. You had a crazy childhood. Leg put back together. Junior Olympics. Yeah. One of the swankiest private schools in the state of Oregon, if not the swankiest. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a time. And then what happens after high school? Or wait, you get a job in high school, right? Did you work? Yes. Yeah, so I've worked since the age of 14. Yeah. Yeah. And Which it, is rare you know, these yeah, days. Very Actually rare. for anybody in this city. <laughs> right. <laughs> these days. And, you know, that's to the credit of uh, Arlene Schnitzer. So what, what happened? I, I wanted a job. I wanted to, to earn some income. So this was back when, yeah, you know, you'd open up the Oregonian and look at the classifieds for a job. Yeah, the paper. <laughs> the literal the paper. paper. Yeah. Back when the Oregonian. And we just called it the paper. Yeah. 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 That's right. And I saw a job for a computer lab assistant. And I thought, oh, you know, I can, I can do that. So mom helped me write a uh, cover letter 
because really that's all I had. I, clearly, I had no experience at, at 14 outside of, you know, what I'd done with computers. I've always been into, into computers. So, uh, you know, we wrote a letter, and next thing I know, I'm contacted by, uh, by her assistant to come in and interview, right? And um, I went in and, and interviewed, and uh, long story short, they offered me the role of computer lab assistant. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it was that it was this program called Nightscape that was sponsored by the Harold and Arlene Center Care Foundation, and it was at the Lentz Boys and Girls Club. So it was started in '95, and it was a program to give you know kids in that area an alternative to being out on the streets and just kind of running amok, right? There was there's basketball, like one of those after school programs. Yes, yes, that's right. And it ran from six to midnight, Friday and Saturday. So, so so late. So you could kind of, if people wanted to quote unquote party, you could live, you really could hang there. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right. And so what happened was, uh, they offered me the role, but they said, well, since you're, you're too young, you don't have a work permit yet. We'll give you the option of doing this on a volunteer basis. Uh, once you get your work permit, then we can put you on payroll. I thought, oh, okay, cool. At first, I didn't want to. I was like, no, I want to get some money. And then I, you know, I talked with my mom, and, you know, we looked at it from a long-term perspective. This is, this mm-hmm. is the, the better way to go. So I went ahead and, and volunteered, and then I got put on payroll. And, you know, Arlene told me that 11 other adults applied for that role. But uh, Really? Yeah. But the, the reason why they chose me was because they thought I would serve as a good example to the children in the program, right? A young young man of, of color, you know, wow. assisting in the, in the computer lab. You know, I thought that would be a good example. So, where was this situated? The the Nightscape program, yeah. The Lentz Boys and Girls Club off Ninety Second and Herald, and this was before it was remodeled. So back in and 90s. by that, so then I don't know what Lentz was. Was it rough? Was Lentz rough? I mean, it was felony flats. <laughs> yeah, and so from the time you can remember, it's been known as fel- quote-unquote felony flats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, of course, we've had a lot of people from Lentz here on the podcast talking about how forgotten they feel in Portland, and yeah. it sounds like that's kind of been a forever thing. Yep, it has. Well, it, except for, you know, the schnitzers. I mean, she didn't have to fund that program. So for, for people who don't know, the schnitzers, I think, in this city are not given their philanthropic due. But why don't you, can you tell us a little bit, like for people who aren't in the city or who are maybe new to this city, who the Schnitzer family is? Well, so if anyone knows the uh, the Schnitzer Concert Hall, the Arlen Schnitzer Concert Hall, yeah. mm-hmm. yep, right there next to the old Fox Theater, that's, that's them. Um, I believe the old Newberger Hall at Portland State um, Jordan Center sponsored the, I think the art exhibit there, and yeah, they've they've been in Portland for a long time. I mean, don't you feel like Jordan Schnitzer is vilified by a lot of circles in Portland? I really think that he is absolutely. treated very poorly. Ab- absolutely, absolutely, it's 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 terrible in in my opinion. Um, you know, he gets a bad rap. It's, it's, it seems like 
you know, and he's these a days. huge philanthropist. Big time. He's given. He he doesn't have to live here. He can live anywhere he wants. Yeah, yeah, he he absolutely absolutely can. He he could be in Mayorka right now on a yacht and forever, and he instead he chooses to live here, pay the taxes that he pays, and mm-hmm. be part of this bizarre community mm-hmm. that treats him to a fair extent like garbage. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I don't recall Harold and Arlene receiving the same treatment. And you know, so do you think they were treated as as you were growing up? Were they treated more oh, in accordance res- with their philanthropy? Yes, they were. They were respected. I mean, my my grandfather told me about you know when when he was young. He remembers when they would uh, you know snitchers were rolling around picking up scrap metal in a truck. That's how they. Wow. That's how, that's how they how they started, right? You know, snitcher steel. So that's where they got their got their start. And you know, I. Frequently watching OPB, I see the Harold and Arlene Snitcher Care Foundation are sponsors of whatever show I'm watching. And, you know, when I was working at, at, at Nightscape, you know, there in 1995, Lentz Boys and Girls Club, I remember multiple times Harold and Arlene showed up there, both of them. And, you know, they were, they were, they were nice. They, they weren't pretentious, nothing. They were... They were they were great people, and you know I, I I really respect them because, you know I credit my success you know as far as where I am right now to them. Had she never given me that opportunity, you know that was my that was my springboard, my launchpad into Do my you career. Really? So, you credit your status as a successful adult in the city to the Schnitzers. Absolutely. I think that's amazing. Absolutely, that's. They're, they were the ones that, that gave me the start, that opportunity. When do you think this cultural shift happened between wh- where we went from giving accordance and, and due respect to people who were pouring money at their just out of the goodness of their heart into the city to vilifying them mm. for being quote-unquote rich or for being a quote-unquote landlord, et cetera, building owner. Yeah. I mean, suddenly, it's a qualification run for office if you're a renter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the only city where I've heard anybody begin, the, like Anna Del Rocio, when she was running for Multnomah County Commission, I'm a renter. Chloe Udali, running for city council, I'm a renter. Mm-hmm. It, it's Joanne Harsey, I'm a renter. It's amazing to me that that's a qualification for office. And I don't know when did that yeah, like that behoof. become, yeah, when did that become a good thing? You know, uh, it seems like this just became a thing in the last few years. Like, Do you think recent. it was 2020? No, because Chloe's pre-2020. What, 2016? What, around the time Charlie Hales laid out that if you're homeless, sleep wherever you want kind yeah, of Yeah, rolled out the red carpet, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I guess that that's when it when it began. That's when the wave began to form. Now it's you know. I don't know. I don't remember what precipitated it though. I mean, I remember there seemed to be a fair amount of bizarre, like a, excuse me, a lack of pushback when he rolled yeah. that out, which mm-hmm. I thought was strange. And I, I just an acceptance. Yeah, I I I think people didn't realize. Um, well, that's clear. What was to to come that's that's the thing and 
you know, it seems like there's this pushback on, you know, homeowners and people that are successful. I mean, it. I feel like all of a sudden when, when housing got really expensive and that upwards mobility for people to be able to, um, you know, acquire a house, you know, build their wealth in that way, once that became um, a significantly less viable path to the acquisition of wealth, I, I feel like that kind of catalyzed this, you know, really got the ball rolling. It was like an accelerant. Um, like a grievance, kind of a left-wing version of mega grievance politics. Yeah, like you evil homeowner, homeowner landlord, right? You know, I'm, I'm a landlord, and, you know, I've heard, you know, people have tried to bust my chops, and, you know, when I explain to them how I conduct my rental property, they're instantly silenced. Because what do you say to silence people? I'm dying to know because I'm sure there are people listening to this going, "Oh my God, he's a landlord." <laughs> well, I tell them how I treat my tenants, right? You know, um, I cited two examples that the central air conditioner went out at the house. I was over there in a matter of days fixing it, right? Bought a new capacitor, installed that. Yourself. I mean, you're very handy. Yes. I know that. Yes. And you do a lot of this stuff yourself. Mm-hmm. And they probably, your tenants probably watched you do it. Yep. Like, oh my God, look what this guy's doing for us with well, his own hands. Yeah. And the second time, the the fan on the compression unit outside went out. The tenant and myself, we were both out there trying to get the, the screws out of the, the back part to, to get the motor swapped. But anyhow, we swapped wow. the motor. Done. And, you know, in addition to that, their rent's been frozen at the same rate since 2018. I haven't, I haven't raised the rent, but property taxes have gone up. That's amazing. Cost of living has, has gone up, but I told them I'd keep their rent steady, which I have. Um, you know, I also told them that I just need them to get me by the time the mortgage is due enough to cover the mortgage. And you told them that? Yeah. I said, you get me the amount to cover the mortgage by the time it's due, and then you can get me the additional afterwards. Because it, I put it all towards towards principal. I'm, I'm not spending the money. So, you know, it really doesn't matter if I pay that additional principal on the 12th of the month or the 27th of the month. Mm-hmm. But that helps them be able to pay on time. It gives them flexibility. And that's a win-win for, for both of us. Now they're not, you have good steady tenants. Yeah. They're not financially squashed. And, you know, I'm still getting the house paid down. And I have, have good tenants. We have a good working relationship. And what, what logical reason is there not to do that for them? What rational argument could anybody pose? And so people, when you say things like that, people shut up. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're a greedy landlord. And then you tell them the reality. Yes. Exactly. And, you know, I could... Tell them to, you know, get lost and raise their rent by $400 a month. Yeah, that would that would really help me. But it's it's not about that. It's for the long term. And, you know, I'm also helping them out because they're not going to get a three-bed, two-bed, two-and-a-half-bath house for what they're paying anywhere else. What you say, 2018 rent? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. So. I think that's great. That's one of the ways I deal with that. So do you feel like... Things are shifting back to 
away from this fringe left, which we sort of pinpoint as starting around 2016 or maybe just a little before then, it, like it was shifting more towards the the. I wouldn't even say the center. I would say normal. Center. I wouldn't even. I don't even know that I'd say center left. I I I'd still say left, but not fringe left. Yes, uh, it's. I mean, Portland's never. I don't think Portland's ever been a centrist. It has been a centrist city since maybe Vera Katz, maybe before then. I mean, I know we've had Republican mayors. It's weird to say, but we have. Yeah, and uh, Goldschmidt. I think Goldschmidt was a Democrat. He was a Democrat. Okay. But Goldschmidt was very centrist. Mm-hmm. He was. It's um, funny. His, <laughs> his daughter took dance lessons in the same place. I oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Dance lessons. Yeah. What What kind of dance? Did tap and jazz. Oh wow! Yeah. Are you still dancing? Not when like did that did stop? Then. Oh god, that stopped in I think after seven years, so eighty-five to ninety-two. That's when I finally stopped. Stopped doing dance. In ninety-five, you went to the Junior Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just switched, you know, from dance, and I, st- I started playing tennis. And I started playing tennis. I'm gonna say. 1991, roughly, about 91. So, but but to to get back to 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 your point, it's it's nice, you know, that the pendulum was at you know six o'clock around Veracat's um, tenure. That's that's good. I I think there's there's been enough um, torment and disdain amongst people that um, you know. They're, they're finally starting to, to speak up. I mean, the current state of affairs is what's driven me to um, endeavor to become more involved in the political scene here. Right. So did you know, I was just looking up like Republican mayors, which mm-hmm. is d- a kind of difficult to find because, of course, it's technically a nonpartisan position. I mean, mm-hmm. it literally is, but mm-hmm. uh, I think we like to categorize people. And so I looked up Republican mayors and... Ted Wheeler used to be a Republican, which <laughs> cracks me up. And you know, Charlie know Hales was a Republican. This is, this is from uh, this is Dan Tilkin at Coin oh six God. years ago. Ted Wheeler, it says, will be publicly sworn in Wednesday as Portland's new mayor, replacing Charlie Hales. He'll be leading one of the most liberal cities in America. He's also become the second former Republican in a row elected to run the city and these two are some of the most destructive people we've had yeah i'd say the most okay so here we go so the last uh former oregon republicans uh they're now democrats who who show shades of show shades of former oregon republicans do they really do they really (laughs) before the republican party changed so it says uh, the former Oregon Republicans, uh, Tom McCall, Bob Packwood, yeah. yeah, and Vicatia. Yeah, that's who I remember as the last. Um, well, he was he was governor. He was governor of Oregon. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he was ever the mayor, but he was um, governor. Mm-hmm. Republican nominee for governor, defeated by Democrat. And then he went back to work in the Senate. And then he defeated, it says, in 78, he defeated Roger Martin, the Republican leader of the Oregon House, and former Governor Tom McCall. Interesting. Mm. And and it says it happened in the 70s and 80s. Um, the 
Reagan revolution drove the moderates out. You either, well, I remember, I seem to remember that. You either bought into the Reagan revolution or you didn't, but a wave of Republicans left the party. And what we saw as we got into the 2000s with George W. Bush and the war in Iraq, mm-hmm. that's so interesting. Um, wow. So Hales and Wheeler were Republicans. My mind is blown right now. What about Bud Clark? That's a great question. What do you remember about him? I remember him riding his bike to work. And, of course, you can't forget the mustache. (laughs) I remember the mustache. He was a Democrat. He was, okay. He was a restaurateur. Mm -hmm. I thought he owned a restaurant in Goose Hollow, if I recall. He may have. What's so interesting is... Uh, some a uh, question about him that's trending was Bud Clark a Democrat or Republican? So you're not the only one <laughs> who thought, oh, maybe he was a conservative. Um, and there's an article about him in 2022 um, in Willamette Week. It says the story first ran in May 21st, 1984 edition. We're republishing it on the eve of a celebration of Bud Clark. Last Tuesday, a grinning but weary man bicycled through Portland's rain-soaked streets mm-hmm. as pedestrians filled their primary election voting booths. Uh, Pedaling steadily, his rain pelted his corduroy shorts and his unruly beard. <laughs> From afar, he looked like a gnome on wheels. Yes. Tavern owner. Tavern owner, 52-year-old tavern owner who made history with his stunning 13% win over the incumbent Frank. Is it Ivanchi? Evie... I-V-A-N-C-I-E, while the city's business industry, and, you know, I should know this, and I don't. Uh, How did Clark win a number of pundits point to several factors that have little to do with him or himself? Senator Gary Hart and the Reverend Jesse Jackson's Oregon campaigns turn out an unusually high number of progressive voters Mm -hmm. who are more likely to support Clark. So Clark was a progressive, which is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Goose Hollow. Goose Hollow Inn, where the company's local distributor... Supported anti-bottle bill efforts in California. Clark proved he was in, he was independent. So so in Portland, I can see how you would think, oh, he sounds kind of Republican because in like veering from the uh, party lines, which which Oregonians used to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you yeah. look at people like uh, Hatfield and people like uh, Wayne Morse, you know, was voted against the Vietnam War. I mean, you look at people like that, Oregonians used to be mavericks. We used to not be progressive sheep. Yeah, that's what I remember. And I know I'm really speaking about Portlanders here. Anybody outside of Portland, Eugene, Salem is wrinkling their nose right now and saying, well, most of us are not uh, sheep Democrats. And I it, or I want to acknowledge that Portland is a blue dot in a red sea. Yeah, and... It, you know, I remember growing up, it seemed, Portland seemed a, a more conservative city. It seemed like it, it, it leaned conservative, just in what I recall and what I saw then compared with what we see now. Isn't that interesting? It's so weird. It, yeah. it, it, because now, if you said that, people's heads would explode. They wouldn't believe you. <laughs> well, because we've only burst on, we're on the international scene now because we're a spectacle, not for anything good. Yeah, right. All right. But most of the, I don't know how long a lot of these people with, you know, that are making a lot of noise. It seems like a, a lot of people haven't been here long enough to remember this. That's I mean, totally right. That, 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 that's the reason, the reason why. I mean, I mean, of course that's true because we were so small. 
before. Yeah. We were nothing. We were always in Seattle shadow. I mean, to some, obviously, we still are. We don't have the business. We don't have the money. We're nowhere near as big. But we've always, now, we've certainly overtaken them in terms of insanity. Yeah. But I think, you know, for all the bad reasons. But I think, yes, you're right. We were just this little insignificant city. Mm-hmm. That was fine yeah. with being quiet. Yep, pit stop on the way to L.A., San Francisco, Oakland. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I can remember growing up, I would never, hardly ever see out-of-state license plates here. Right. No. no. Definitely no California. Like, yeah, yeah. It was like, why would they come here? It, I mean, it, I still wonder that, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're all here now. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so where did you go to college? Portland State. And how did you end up picking that? Because obviously you're coming out of Cal and Gable. You're this junior Olympiad (laughs) and you're athletic and you're talented and you're working for the Schnitzers and you probably could have written your own ticket. Yeah. Well, after the Nightscape program was sunset, I went uh, went and worked for this company by the name of Trillium Software. They were right across the street from Lincoln High School. And um, it was fun. I put together computer systems, right? This was late 90s. I uh, did web page design. This was back when uh, I had an Internet Explorer window open and a notepad window open of HTML. And I would just alt-tab between one and the other. I'd make a code change in the notepad and then refresh Explorer. So, <laughs> But uh, so after that, you know, I, I went, to, went to Portland State. And what landed me there... I got accepted into what's called the LINK program at Portland State, and that allowed me to take the first year of computer science, my senior year in high school, and my so my, my last two years of high school, I went to Grant, but they had a program by the name of... Uh, Wait, how did you end up at Grant? From Catlin Gable? Yeah, to, to You to went Grant. to yet another school? Yeah, so I... How did you end up there? So I received a great academic education from Catlin Gable, but not such a good social education. So I got my social education from Grant. You that, were not happy. Yes, I, 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 I'd had enough of Catlin after. Um, and your parents noticed that you were unhappy, and they were fine with you going to the neighborhood that was the, your neighborhood high school, or no? How did you get into Grant? So technically, uh, Jefferson was the neighborhood high school, and you know, back in yeah, that makes more sense. How did you go to Grant? Back in '97, yeah, I. I don't know. That, that's although if you went question. to Sabin, you would be districted into Grant. You wouldn't be districted into Jefferson. Yeah, I mean, so they must have changed the district lines. Yeah, I don't know. I remember I went. I, I looked at Benson. Uh, I think I think Lincoln was out. I just I just remember going and touring Benson back then, and I I didn't like it. It was it was too dark and dreary. So I was used to you know that that Catlin Gable. <laughs> right. That campus. Like, right, oh, which no. is like, for people who haven't seen it, it looks like a college, college. campus. Yeah, it basically is a college campus. It was like 42 acres back then. It's enormous. Yeah, it's very nice. And Yeah, like you said, back then, that was like unheard of. Yeah, it was. It was beautiful. So, um, so anyhow, um, I've accepted into the LINK program. So already that was 12 credits of computer science at Portland State my senior year. And the Einstein's Universe... Uh, program at Grant, that was that was basically the freshman inquiry at Portland State. So that was uh, five credit hours per term. So We're a total enjoying of this very nice credits. bottle of scotch uh, that you picked out. Lagavulin, yes. Yeah. The, and I want to hear about that in a minute, but sorry. I want to hear, first I want to hear about <laughs> how you end, go from Grant to Portland State. Portland State. 
yeah. So, so uh, I I got accepted into the or yeah sorry I got I got into the link program and then there was uh, the Einstein Universe. I, I I took that because for whatever reason I qualified to get into that class. So that was um, like English, uh, physics, and I think of a, a, another kind kind of rolled into one. And I got dual credit for that. So by the end of the end of senior year, I had 15 credits out of that class and 12 credits out of the computer science. So I already had 27 credits at Portland State. And I thought, well, well might as well just continue with Portland State. Uh, I was also... And you liked the... Obviously, you must have liked the classes, and you must have wanted... You wanted to continue. Yeah, well, it just worked best because I was working. So, uh, no... And it is a commuter... Were you living at home? It's a commuter school. Yeah, yep. So you weren't... You didn't want to deal with a situation where... You were going to move to some city you'd never been to and live in a dorm, and because you had a good working. Where were you working? So, right out of high school, I worked for a company by the name of Stream International. And did you feel like you were incredibly sought after because of your connection to the Schnitzers and your hiring at such an early age? Hmm. I'm sure you were. I mean. I don't know how much that organization knew about the distinctions at the time. Maybe Trillium. But that was on your resume. Yes, yes. So by by 18, I already had a four-year resume. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. As in, like you said, being hired over adults Mm -hmm. for an adult job. Yep, that's right. And so I I was hired by by Stream. So I did phone-based tech support for Gateway 2000. Anybody who had a Gateway 2000 computer, when you call tech support, there is a chance that... You talk to me on the phone, <laughs> tell you how to fix your problems. Oh my God, we all had one of those. Yeah, and you know this was back in the days when you know you had a config system. You were tech auto- support for Gateway. Uh huh. Yeah. At the age of like seventeen, eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, yeah. It was something. Talking to all us dummies on the phone. <laughs> you could probably put one of those things together. So that was the yeah. thing. It was like build your own computer with a gateway. Yeah. So well, anybody that was, who knew about computers, a lot of them had gateways mm-hmm. and because they could build whatever configuration they wanted. Yeah. Well, they could select and have it built for them. At Trillium Software. I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't build a computer. No one I knew could build a computer. But yes, anybody who knew something was lit- computer literate um, back mm-hmm. then could say what they wanted and gateway would put it together for them and, it, and that was something kind of unheard of was it weren't they the first ones to do that kind of thing i mean there are other companies out there but boy they marketed it well though because they yeah. were known as the company that did that yeah gateway and make Bill. it your way or whatever mm-hmm. yeah and yeah they they marketed and brought it to the masses there's a, there's a support model the customizability that's really what um, I think rocketed them to the top. So, so you know, I. I so you're doing that while you're at Portland State yeah. as you're starting your college career, and your peers at Catlin are probably going off to everywhere else in the country, and they're doing the typical four-year thing, and they're living in dorms, and you're uh, still working. Yeah, well, because I mean, I had to pay for my tuition. I did receive some Pell grants, but. For the most part, I, I paid for all my tuition on my own from from working. That is so. I find that so admirable. And you had this one job, and it was full time. I bet. Um, so it started off as as part time. Well, I, I was working four tens, 
and then I tried to, to cut back because I wasn't able to balance that with, with school. Yeah, I, I mean, 40 hours a week, and you're 18 years old. Yeah. Taking was, a full load, right? Yeah. So yeah, what, you were taking difficult. classes, like, at night? Yep, at night and during the day. And then there were terms where I'd, you know, take fewer classes. And it was a constant balance. Work a little bit more, take so fewer classes. So you were like, classes, how many years money. am I going to be here, probably? Yeah. So it took a total of six years. Wow, Patrick. Yeah, I know. Six, six I years. think that's amazing. <laughs> you should be so proud of yourself. And look at the kind of person you've become. You haven't missed out on any of those quote-unquote four-year kind college kind of uh, experiences that those people have had. You're, very, you're one nope. of the most well-traveled people I know. You own multiple homes. You are extremely successful. Um, you are politically engaged, civically mm-hmm. engaged. You're very smart. You're, you have not sealed yourself into this hermetic bubble of Portland, as mm-hmm. a lot of people who go straight from high school to Portland State and continue to live here have done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you should be, and, and I, it's, you have this kind of, don't you think it, it help, helped you with a kind of grit or resilience that a lot of people in the city are missing? Absolutely, absolutely. And you're not entitled. No, not at all. And it's not just the city, it's it's subsequent generations, right? Not at large, but some people, you know, more so than than others, right? So are you a millennial, technically? Because I'm at the end of Gen X. Does that mean you're a millennial? I'm at the end of Gen X. Oh, you are too? Okay, well, good. 79. So I'm not that old okay good <laughs> yeah we're not that old. so we're, sure i'll say we <laughs> <laughs> i want to be the same age as you uh, yeah we are not that old and so you're talking about like the you're probably mostly talking about the gen z years gen gen early. alphas coming up of yeah. course yeah early the bra kind of uh the yeah yeah well although i will say like Barry Weiss is a millennial who does, you know, free press and the honestly podcast. And I think she sounds like a Gen Xer, but I, the more <laughs> I meet a lot of millennials listen to this podcast, the more I am, you know, don't hate listen, like, and don't even mediocre listen, like are big fans. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of the millennial generation that I just wrote off as not being interested in working has really in- impressed me. In this, I don't know if you found this, but in the sense that they came up behind us, mm-hmm. and at least, so I was looking at it from a law firm culture kind of person, and I remember thinking, okay, these are people that are not, I, they all had parameters on what they were willing to do and not do, and I remember mm-hmm. thinking, oh, you whiny little babies, like, <laughs> you're going to, you need to work as hard as we did, and you're going to get yelled at, and you need to be treated poorly, and just put up with it, and rise up, up through the ranks, uh, as we did, and just stay quiet. Mm-hmm. And they Beautiful. didn't do that. And instead, they were like, no, I'm willing to do this, but not this. And they could nobody could fight them on it, because there were so many of them. And so everybody yeah. just kind of threw up their hands and went, okay, fine. We'll, we'll uh, whatever hours you want to work, we'll do it, and we'll, we're not going to pay you what you want, but we'll meet you somewhere in the middle. And I found it kind of admirable, and I actually have found out that I'm friends with... <laughs> a lot of millennials, uh, and I respect them a lot for doing that. And I'm, I'm kind of the dummy <laughs> for just <laughs> shutting up. And we're like the spanked generation. I mean, I certainly was spanked. Yeah. We are that generation that got spanked. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. I mean, my dad had a yard sale. I mean, but I talked to my yep. kids about it, and they're like, "That's abuse." I would call. I would have called the police. You know. Oh, well, nowadays, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the police aren't coming because uh, yeah. they're dealing with a homicide <laughs> on, right. in Old Town um, yeah. or anywhere in the city, but. I think, you know, my dad had a yardstick, and he used it, yep. and we got spanked, yep. and you said one wrong... You, we got slapped yeah. across the face. Yep. the belt or the switch. Yeah, the millennials were not slapped. No, they, they weren't. They were put, what, put in timeout? Probably put in timeout. Now Gen Zers have no screen time, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll impress us. Maybe they'll come up through the workforce, and they'll just, like, invent the whatever the iPhone is, the counterpart to that. Yeah, um, I don't really know, but... But I, as I get older, I'm actually becoming less judgmental about uh, generations. Although you're saying, like, in the tech arena, you're finding younger generations are very entitled. But not in a good way. Like, you're saying it's not panning out well for business, yeah, you don't think. I mean, to, to an extent, there. I mean, at, at my company, there are, you know, younger people that work there. And... A lot of them are pretty pretty hard workers, right? I mean, I, I can't say I, I know any slackers at my company. <laughs> I know, but when you say but, I'm not entitled, unlike younger generations, what are you kind of thinking there? Like, what what pops into your mind? Mm. No, I think of the, I guess the the demographic that uh, you know expects a twenty percent tip regardless of what the service is like. And, oh, uh, it starts at thirty-five percent in this city. I no, I no. You said not me. <laughs> I I'm going to vocalize, but you just mouthed to me, not me, but not me either. But when that iPad turns around in Portland, and I don't know about other cities, I'm trying to think mm-hmm. about. I mean, I'm not. I haven't noticed this in other cities. I we start our tipping starts at about thirty-five percent. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I just went to a place where a pizza costs forty dollars. And on the whiteboard, it says, we pay a living wage. This is the only city that I can think of where you can make a quote-unquote living wage slinging pizzas, and nobody wants to work. Yeah. And yep. yet, we're short-staffed. Yep. Nobody can find anybody to to serve tables, to wash dishes, to cook, yeah, work to be a sous chef, to work, period. Yep. In any of these service industries. Some of the, the establishments in... Uh my neighborhood. I, I hear we, we, we can't find people to work. We can't find staff. I hear that time and time again. And I am. What are these people doing for money? I don't understand it. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty cheap to live in Portland, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not. But as I did, Don Courtney, when he came on, mm-hmm. said, and he, it made a lot of sense to me. He said, you know, these are people, the generation that we're talking about and the t- kind of dem- demographic, because a lot of these people are like freaking our age that are, the guy that served me pizza the other day was, I think he was my age. Um, <laughs> and he, he's making a living wage apparently for Portland. So, he, so I guess he's doing well. But the what Don said is there are people who are living in house shares. Mm-hmm. They're living in a house with, you know, 10 other people. Yep, I hear that and, and they're renting a room, or there's two of them, like a couple, and mm-hmm. they're renting a room, and they're splitting the rent. Yep. And he says they don't work for long. They work in spurts. They work when they want to. Mm-hmm. They don't spend a lot. They don't have a lot. They don't want anything. Yeah. And, you know... But they have grievance politics. Yeah. And, but you know, they're mad that they're renting. I don't get it. If you're mad that you're renting, work full time. Yeah. And, you know, I can understand that they're upset that they're having to rent because houses are so expensive now. But, I mean. 
Yeah, but if you can make a living wage slinging a pizza, think of what you could do with a um, forget college educated with a with a high school educated job in Portland yeah. if you were working full time. Some sort of skilled labor. Yeah. Like Plumber, electrician. Yeah. Go join a union. Yeah. Go to PPB for Pete's sake. They're paying a ton and they yeah, have benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's absolutely right. <laughs> they're paying more than a lot of lawyers I know make. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, it's just confusing really right but why we can't find a workforce here yeah i just don't and why are people upset if that's their choice okay i get it so that's your lifestyle that's your deal don't be pissed off about it yeah and and then you know you have a demographic that went to to college and you know majored in women's studies or and they're all baristas or art yeah or uh, whatever whatever the hell they are they're they're not in a position where they're able to yeah that women's studies factory is never opened yeah, exactly. And you know, as as you say, that you know, people don't don't work a lot. They make a little bit. It reminds me of what I saw when I went uh, to Olive Branch, Mississippi, for work. Wow. It was the same thing. People, you know, they they don't make a lot. They don't want a lot. They just hop is it around a jobs. young population? You say Mississippi, and I just don't envision a hip young population. Is this a young population? <clears throat> well, in, in Olive Branch, um, a company I, I work for, they're a, a big employer there. And, uh, you know, there's a number of warehouses around. And, you know, you could get a warehouse job pretty easily. So it's like uh, the old... Well, this is different. I was just thinking it's like the old car manufacturers in Detroit, mm-hmm. although it's different because they wanted stuff and they made a lot and they had stuff. That yeah. was back when you could have a high school education and you could turn well, a lug nut yeah. at the Ford plant and you could make enough to support a family of five and buy a house. Yeah, because houses houses were affordable. The, the wages were reasonable. The wages were awesome. Yeah. And you didn't need, uh, you know, higher education. But then it, you know, glo- globalization yep. hadn't taken hold yet. Clinton and international economy and the whole thing collapses. And then yeah. generations later, we yeah, here comes Trump. Seriously. I mean, that is the story yeah. of the Trump presidency. That's yeah. Those are the people he spoke to. Yep. And a lot of them right. were Obama right. voters. Yeah, previously. Yep, yep. they felt left behind, dis- disenfranchised, just like Hitler did with the Germans, right? Yeah, well, I think that's why, you know, everybody makes fun of, and I do too, of people who talk about how Trump's a threat to our democracy, and I'm completely freaked out that he's the president, et cetera. And I, but I felt that, too, because, uh, as you said, it, it was a, I just thought, well, this is a, not a good harbinger of anything. No, absolutely And it not. turns out, you know, he wasn't, turns out he wasn't incinerating anybody, and that was all over, pretty overblown. But, um, you know, in allegedly or or depending on who you talk to inciting a riot at the capitol building and refusing to peacefully transfer power of the presidency i think was yeah uh, unprecedented yeah. probably yeah. and uh abominable behavior yeah and that flock of uh, flock of crows will be coming home to roost soon it looks like oh do you th- what's going to happen with that guy is that guy going to be president again are we going to have to I can't handle it I, as much as I can't handle living here I also cannot handle that man being president again, again. I can't handle either side of the spectrum I want no part of this crap I want to move to a purple state 
where all the bad ideas are discarded and we end up somewhere in the middle. Where? Um, where and rhyme and reason. Right? My God. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I'm so sick of these extremes. And I voted for Biden because I thought he wasn't an extremist, but it turns out he's not really running that White House, I don't think. Because as, as no. allegedly moderate as he is, and he's certainly moderate compared to Trump, mm-hmm. um, I'd like Obama back. Like, I just want um, this pregnant people thing that he's doing on the White House Department of Health and Human Services website. And a lot of the stuff that he's doing, I think, is very extreme. Um, right in. Trump started the check writing, and then Biden just continued a, into oblivion. Carried on, yeah. Was something like forty percent of our national debt was incurred on the Trump? Um, yes, he spent. He he threw away the idea of fiscal conservatism. That is gone. Fiscal responsibility. Yeah, the idea. I don't even know what they stand for anymore. I mean, the idea that the Republicans are the fiscally conservative party you guys that was gone the minute trump took office no that was gone the minute bush took office remember clinton left us with a nice surplus a wonderful economy yeah and bush well bush got us into two wars that we were still in until relatively recently yeah he he took care of that surplus yeah and i didn't even think about that yeah and then and i feel like obama was more fiscally conservative and then of course trump ran us back into spending oblivion and biden just took us on through yep just carried yep, carried the torch and i remember yeah. asking people aren't you worried about inflation no 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 <laughs> no we need the money everybody needs the money yeah. we're just going to print more money and then it turns out you really can't just print your way out of a recession yeah yeah throw more money at it and yeah, here we ask, are yep ask them now so that pretty much brings inflation. us in, up to present date um, so, yeah. so you go to Portland State. You graduate in six years. You mm-hmm. don't. You do not do a graduate education, right? No. You're still doing IT, right? So, but you're just rising through the ranks of IT. Yeah. So at that, that at at that point, I, I'd had a few jobs in uh, in college. I did tech support for, um, you know, DAT Services, which is a subsidiary of the Jubis Corporation. Wow. I supported their satellite data terminal as well as a third-party uh, window software for electronic freight matching. So that's another big Oregon industry family, trucking industry. Yep, yep. And after that, I was a system administrator at Metro for a little over. Oh, really? So yeah. that's our third level of government. Mm-hmm. That would be Washington, Clackamas, Multnomah counties. Mm-hmm. So sysadmin there for a while. And then... After that, I went to work for Intel. So I, I'd always wanted to work for Intel. That was like my yeah. I mean, job. in Oregon, who doesn't? Yeah, and if you're if you're a tech guy, yeah. So my last two years of college, uh, I was basically an intern at Intel, and then right right, right out of college, I was hired uh, permanently, and I worked another ten years post college for Intel. And uh, you know, one of the the neat things I was just thinking back. Uh, so as a student contractor at Intel my junior year in college. And that was back when they had that, that rule. I guess Microsoft got sued for you know hiring contractors and not properly giving them benefits. So Intel made you basically go away after being employed for a year. So you know I, I made it to Intel. You know, I was super happy. I thought, wow, I'm here. I want to stay here. So I made sure to bust my butt and do what I could to make myself a valuable asset to my manager and my group there. You know, I would come in on the weekends. That's amazing. Work overtime, which you know I really didn't want to do. You know, I've got homework to do. I want to have fun, and I well, work. Well, no, you're a young guy. Yeah. Nobody your age is doing this. <laughs> no. What was it in you 
or about you? What was it about you that set you apart in that way? Maybe I, I just just wanted it more, and you know, if I. But what did you want? Because you're already at the job. Yeah. Well, I wanted to to stay there as a student contractor, right? You're still technically a contractor. You're not what they call an employee. Yeah. You wanted the job as an employee. Right. Right. And I I figured I I needed to, you know, do the best I could. So, like I said, I did did I, I did the best I could. My manager at the time, he said he tried to, you know, get his manager to extend my contract beyond a year. He said he tried everything. And he just couldn't do it. You know, I was like, I couldn't do it. I'm sorry, you know. So I went away for... That must have blown you away. Yeah, I was... Because you kind of sacrificed your quote-unquote college years, right? Yeah, yeah, some of that time I did. In order to succeed? Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, that's... I'll be back. That's <laughs> that's kind of what so I thought. So you were like, confident? To an extent, yes. So so what happened... Uh, 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 in the interim, I worked well. So, so after that contract ended, I basically stepped up my school. I said, "Great, you know, I can collect unemployment for a while, and I might as well really push hard in school." So I took like eighteen credit hours in one summer at Portland State. Oh, so you became a more traditional student all of a sudden for for three months. Yes. So you really pushed three months. Yeah, I yeah eighteen credit hours. In That's three amazing. Months. Yeah, it was. It, I I could. Oh, not you have must have been exhausted. Time. I was, but that was a fun summer, though. It was, uh, it was, it was a fun summer because it was the first summer you probably were ever able to relax. Yeah, not not have a job and just focus on school. It's like finally, like your peers. I mean, not necessarily in Portland State, which is more of a commuter school, but uh-huh. certainly your peers Other from Cal and Gable were doing. Yeah, I'm sure they were doing <sighs> not, nothing like some that. kind of unpaid internship somewhere for their friend's dad. Yeah. Well. By that time, they were they had probably graduated because that right. was summer. Of oh, there you go. Right. So, so they so were they're already, working for their friend's dad. Yeah, they're already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> the unpaid internship has turned into a paid investment maker. Yep. Yep. Slide. That's, that's right. So, so you know, after that contract ended, um, I worked for a small company in the interim. I started that that fall. Well, you know, lo and behold, I get a call from another manager at Intel. And um, she said, hey, you know, I've got an open, open position in firmware validation. I'm wondering if you're interested. I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'd love to. Um, <clears throat> when, uh, when do you want to when do you want to interview, right? What's, what, what times work? She said, oh, no, no, no. We, we don't need to interview you. You came highly recommended wow. from, your last member, from, from your last manager. Just when can you start? And that I must about, have made you feel so good. Oh, it did. I about dropped the phone. <laughs> Oh yeah. Like what? Like now Intel's wanting to hire me back and they don't even want to interview me? Like, okay, well It's incredible. I must have done something right. So so you know, going the extra mile, doing the extra the extra tasks, taking on, you know, work that my manager, you know, hey, can can somebody do this? I thought, wow, if doing that led to this success, this result. Why don't I just incorporate that into what I do on the regular? Like that—that that needs to be a, a base characteristic of me. So, so I did. And a base characteristic, yeah, I like the way you said that. Yeah, that it, yeah exactly. So, you know, I I worked in, in that role, and you know, I was coming up on, on graduation. I started in I think October two thousand three. I graduated college in two thousand four. 
um, you know, as I was getting closer to graduation, I was uh, I regularly looked at the internal job postings at, at, at Intel. You know, I applied. You know, I had a, a resume that dated back to '94 at that time, and um, yeah, I, I must have applied to like think 40 40 plus internals, and you know, everyone was like, "Sorry, it's internal employees only." Blah 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 blah. I'm shocked. Yeah, but I mean, that's you know, it, it's like government, right? You know what, 2002 was the kind of the dot-com crash, right? 2000, you had the Y2K and all that stuff. Internet startups, they were doing good in 2001. And then 2002, you know, you had the dot-com bust. So you were looking, okay, so that helps put it in perspective. You were looking when things were grim. And were you thinking, am I, I'm I'm in the wrong industry? No, I was thinking I I need to, um, I need to look more, I I need to work harder. I need to. (laughs) <laughs> I need, I need to keep 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 shooting. Isn't that interesting that you were so different than I can imagine probably a lot of your Catlin peers were about how what you needed to do to succeed? Yeah, well because what I needed to do to succeed was was different, right? Because my yeah, environment right. was was different. So recognizing that's exactly that, right. Right? Being pragmatic. But you about weren't it. mad about it. Were were you or were you? I mean, did you have some of that grievance in you? Like, this isn't fair. This is wrong. I mean, I'm sure by then you're, what, is there social media by then? There's something. There's a... 2003, 2004, no. There's, um, what was it? Friendster? (laughs) Friendster. It was like MySpace. I forget what year that came out. MySpace. Yeah, Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian were on MySpace. Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. Did you have a MySpace account? I did for a while. Oh, there you go. And then, yeah. And so you saw, probably saw some photos of people, you know, moving uh, yeah. around or whatever. And you're probably thinking, my God, I'm still in Portland and I've got to find a job. Yeah. Yeah. But but at that point, I was more focused on, I want to land this job at Intel. Like, I, I, I don't have time to sit here and, you know, feel the salt in the wounds, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't. I, I was focused on that. And, I um, think that's amazing. Yeah, and I, I did. think a lot of people would have been pissed off and well, channeled way too many calories into anger and resentment. Well, that's what's going on now. I mean, that's well, that's why that's I exactly thought about it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. what's what's going on. It's like <laughs> that's why we have so many overeducated baristas and like, and just dude, pissed off people. This is not a place. Yeah, I mean, this is this is not a city. We, we just don't have the business to support really ambitious people. And I think that's why a lot of really ambitious people are leaving. I mean, we yeah. have a lot of jobs open, J-O-B-S. Yeah, jobs. But I think if you're really ambitious and there's some corporate ladder that you want to climb, mm-hmm. this is not the place to do it. I mean, this is not a business-friendly city. I think we'd like it to be. I think we're going in that direction mm-hmm. in regard to the city of Portland. But our state legislature is insane and not supportive of any of that. I don't no, think. No, no. I don't see any business-friendly policies coming out of the state legislature. No. Well, you know, with the um, the uh, CHIPS Act, right? Talk about that. So we don't qualify for that because in order to, I guess, receive... What is the CHIPS Act for people who don't know? Oh, uh, so it's... Um, it's a federal act to, uh, to stimulate uh, semiconductor manufacturing in the, the U.S. And... And for those who don't know, a semiconductor is... And integrated circuit a chip. It's an IT thing. Yeah, it, it's, it's a, a tech thing. It's a computer chip. Yeah, 
for lack of a better and word. And we don't qualify. We know we don't qualify because we don't have a large enough chunk of land that's, um, I guess, designated commercial. It needs to be of a uh, certain size. That's why one of the reasons I think Intel is building their new um, facility in Ohio, because they have a large enough swath of land that's uh, zoned appropriately to receive these chipsack funds. And okay. I, I I don't know if, it, if it's on... Governor Kotex radar or not? It's a not, probably. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, we're not hearing a lot of talk about it. Yeah. In fact, I, she's real quiet. Yeah. I'm not I hearing heard, a lot out of that mansion at all. Are you? I haven't heard anything. So I when I, uh, so this she's Fox tour. Trash. No, she's not picking up the quote unquote damn trash, which she said she was going to do when mm-hmm. she ran for governor. That mm-hmm. was another trick yep. that she used to win that post. Mm-hmm. Um, Besides the idea that our abortion rights were under fire in the state of Oregon, which codified. is the only it were it's not only codified, where it's the only state where you can get an abortion with zero restrictions. Mm-hmm. If you are overdue past your nine months, you can get an abortion. Yep. Have at it. No questions asked. No questions asked. Have at it. And mm-hmm. I think we are the only place where I can imagine where a Republican spoke into a mic, I'm talking about Christine Drazen when she ran for governor, and mm-hmm. said, well, I'm pro-life personally, but I respect what y'all are doing in this state. I mean, I thought that was incredible. I thought that was one of the most pro-choice things I'd ever heard out of anybody because here's somebody who believes all life is sacred, and mm-hmm. she's cool with... Leaving, leaving it alone. Hacking away at nine point whatever months. I mean, I just think that's kind of incredible. What Republican would say that to a microphone? An Oregon Republican, and she's still lost. Well, probably a Republican that has some sense. Right. No, I think that's right. And and who want, who's interested in winning and who recognizes that abortion is wildly, the fact is it's wildly popular. It At nine months, probably not. Probably absolutely not. I think yeah. we're probably the craziest in that respect. Yeah. And you're, of course, Europe thinks we're monsters because yeah. if you look at what's what their restrictions are, that's a real eye-opener. I think if any of you think that they're really progressive and we're stuck in the dark ages. But what I will say is, as people in Kansas learned, um, abortion is wildly popular, and if you try to restrict it, I think um, even with Republicans or with a state that you think is majority Republican, Texas, the jury is still out on what's going to happen over there. I think, but I think there are plenty of progressives in Texas who would like to see Abbott gone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I he's I think he's extreme, but in general, it, it's popular somewhere like in the middle just like everywhere else and i don't understand how we ended up with all these extremists in politics yeah and and the the thing is they talk about pro-life right i mean it seems that they're pro-birth because after birth i i i don't what's what's there for support oh you can give it up for adoption you can do this you can do that and it's like okay well, well what about you know the next step it's like one one step thinking that yeah no i agree there's not in regard to the republican party i do think there is a disconnect between the pro-life and the support for the kid once it comes out in all these households that can't afford a pot to piss in where is the food where is the economic security i mean a lot of these people are against free lunch (laughs) (laughs) which (laughs) I think if you want all these poor people who are not interested in having kids in the first place to go ahead and have the kid, yeah. uh, motivate them. Yeah, help with, them. Yeah. 
How about helping them out? How about helping that that life that you're so right? About? And it's not them; it's the child. I mean, I'm not saying you need to give all the adults a free lunch, but give the kid a lunch. I don't see what the uh, issue is with that. I mean, do I think it's screwed up that people are having kids when they can't afford to mix some rice and beans together? Yes, but the fact is, they're doing it. And if you're going to restrict abortion, they're going to do it more. Yeah, and maybe. Don't be so against contraceptives, right? Right. So we've got to figure out a way to um, acknowledge that people are going to have sex, although apparently they're having less and less of it (laughs) because the teen birth rate is plummeting and they all seem to be on their phones playing video games and sexting. Wow, I guess better than no that's right i mean look no that's exactly right if the unwanted birth rate plummets you're not going to hear a complaint from me yeah um so so then you go you you're now you're in the tech world you're definitely um continuing to just be successful in the technology world and then how do you feel like where do you land politically because i actually if somebody asked me that I don't know that I'd be able to tell them where you land po- politically. Yeah, Maybe that's part of your yeah. You'd probably tell them mystique. To ask me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to talk to him. I can't. I think you're uncategorizable, which is drives people in Portland crazy. Yes, absolutely. Because they see a black man and they just think a black uncategorizable man. That's right, and they their head explodes, <laughs> like Derek Peter. I mean, not that you're Derek Peterson, but I think the reason a lot of people's heads exploded is they assumed that Derek Peterson would be some kind of radical progressive. And I think in uh, when he vocalizes his beliefs, I think in the United States he is. But then when they learn that he was part of a relig- some this uh, right-wing religion, they they their heads really did explode. Yeah, well, th- they couldn't understand what was going on because they, uh, clearly they didn't know what was going on. They just didn't understand it. I mean, as best as they could interpret and... So my friend Don, who came on, um, said he thinks that most people in Portland don't have a single black friend. Do you think that's right? I mean, I think I think that probably is right. Mm, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, you might be. You know what, Patrick? You might not mine. Not mine. I'm proud to say, but you might be some people's only black friend. Yeah. I, I, I could be. And, you know, I've been told that's just in, in appearance. You know, if I hear talking to me on the phone, you wouldn't guess. Oh, that's interesting. Are you... Is yeah. that said with disdain? Mm-hmm. I mean, are, do you think that's a criticism? When you hear that, is that... Do you hear a criticism? <laughs> I mean, some people it it could be, but others, you know, I, I think at large, I just look at it as a um, you don't fit my mold, you don't fit into my scaffolding of what I expected, right? And a lot of it is it's it's a culture, right? It's one thing to to be black or look black, and then it's an, another thing to be like culturally black right well or what portlanders think of would be yeah what they would imagine yeah because i think as you said you were saying part of black culture is being churched and people i don't think portlanders saw that coming with Derek peterson even though he's a black man yeah most blacks i know are involved in the church 
And I mean, for me, you know, growing up, you, you know, my, my background, yeah. I mean, you know, at most I have one or two black kids in my class and most of the people I grew up with and, and hung out with like weren't black. Do you wish that you, or have you ever thought about moving to a place where you're in the majority <laughs> and what that would be like? And would you like that? <laughs> like, what if you move, what if you move to Atlanta? Boy, that'd be different. You wouldn't want to. No, I, I don't. You're a Portlander. You like? Do you like it here? I mean, I do. Minus the current state of affairs, what's gone on? You know, a, a, a recent trip, uh, recent ten day trip to, to Florida. Yeah, I, I, you had a great time. <laughs> I did. You shared your pictures, which we all looked at <laughs> with envy. It was, it was great. Yes, we. we had a blast Which is there. a very multicultural state, even though people, you know, want to say Ron DeSantis is some kind of white supremacist. He's yeah. governing yeah. a very diverse state. Yeah, I think 70%. A lot of Cubans. Yeah, 70% of, you know, is brown. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, yeah, when we were is there. Is that true? Was, yeah. 70%? Something like 70%. Of the state? state. Or of, like, Miami? You might have to fact check, check me on That's that. That's amazing. Maybe Miami, maybe the state, but a, a, a decent percentage. When we were in um, my, Miami, it was just like brown people everywhere. I saw more brown people in a day than I would in a month here in Portland. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know that that's 70%, but yeah, I, yes. Uh, and But I think that's true of a lot of cities. I for sure. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. You really realize how white we are. All you have to yeah, do is I, drive I to San Francisco for Pete's sake. Yeah. And or go up to Seattle in another white city. But comparably, it's yeah. yep. freaking cultural. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, Florida, it it was it was clean. Uh, places establishments are open later than Portland. And, yes. I mean, it was beautiful. West, West Palm Beach. I mean, God. And so would you, this is interesting. So I'm looking at this. Mm-hmm. Most diverse states. Florida's number nine, okay. which probably doesn't surprise you. Um, so way ahead of this work. is from a goofy website that I've never heard of, but it, wisevoter.com. It does comport, though, with... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm. It's Georgia for sure, you know. <laughs> Hawaii, yep. Yeah. Um, you know, New York, New Mexico for yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, that it all makes sense. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, California, second most. So Hawaii is the most diverse state. It says because of all the Pacific Islanders. Mm, um, and then California is the second with the largest Hispanic and Latino population. Mm-hmm. Nevada is the third. Oh, I didn't, 68.8%. I didn't peg Nevada at number Maryland, three. Maryland. But that makes sense. D.C., they have D.C. High, yeah, one of the highest African-American. Yep. Yep, Baltimore. One of the highest African-American populations in the U.S. at 29%. Texas, the fifth, has a second largest Hispanic and Latino community. Sixth, uh, with a percentage of 658 is New Jersey, which I would not Whoa. have guessed. I know. I'm, I just think like Guido's in Italian. Yeah. New York follows a seventh most diverse state and has the fourth largest Hispanic. And Latino population in the state of Florida is the eighth with the third largest Hispanic and Latino. And it doesn't say mm. percentage, but yeah. Uh, where am I? Oh, 64.1%. Okay, well, there you go. So it's up there. Uh, over 50%. 
which is just in Alabama, also over 50%, 53.1% diversity index. Uh, I know. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. um, wow. Okay. But the percentage, so the diversity index, that's not helpful. Percentage of white population is 64% in Alabama, So, but not still Whoa. not as high as I would think. Um, that's fascinating. I wonder um, what, so I'm scrolling down here. Uh, Oregon, what is Oregon? Yeah, so our diversity Oregon's index is 46.1%. Percentage of white people, 75%. 75%. Percentage of black population, 2%. 2%. Good Lord. Wow. We do have a lot more Latinos because of our proximity to Mexico, but mm-hmm. we're not, we are no bueno yeah. in terms of our and, um, uh, it, our diversity index. It's also our agrarian. Um, we do. We have a farm worker population. Although they tend to my literally migrate like around California and Oregon, right? Because of yeah. seasonal stuff. And so we lose, yeah. I think we we that goes in and out depending on the season. Cyclical. But that's interesting. Yeah. So but you love Florida, right? I mean, is that somewhere you'd move to? God, if uh, I could see myself living there. I mean I I well just ten days there in April. What do you like about here? Because I know there's a lot that you're not content with. Mm. Politically, but that doesn't mean anything because I've had guests here who uh, are furious at the state of things politically, but they love it here <laughs> because of mountains and rivers and et cetera. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I first started skiing, I definitely loved Mount Hood. Now, I mean, it's just so, so crowded and, you know, it's not as big as other other mountains or places that I've skied, but you know I do like the climate here. Um, I like the the rivers being close. I'm you know big big boater love love boating on the Willamette and the Columbia. You know that's right there. You can boat in Florida. Yeah, but that's that's salt water and it's it's it, it, it wouldn't be as easy. It's a different experience. Yeah, it would be it, it would be different. Yes. Although you're navigating open oceans and things. Yeah, depending on where you are. I mean, there are are lakes and and, and such in Florida as well. But, you know, we've got a great climate here. I've got a good setup. You know, I live two miles from downtown. You like the climate? You like the rain? Uh, (laughs) I tire of it. I hear times. you complaining about it. A I lot. know. I don't know. As your friend, I kind of feel I might have to call you on that. I feel like <laughs> if we injected you with true serum, you might admit that the climate is not. Yeah, it, you it, like it now. I do because I do. suddenly it's, it's we good. because of maybe thank you global warming or I don't know what, but we've change. shifted to where it used to not get warm. It, the rain didn't stop until like July sixth. Mm-hmm. Fourth of July was really the cutoff where the weather started getting nice. Yep, that's and a pivot point. Really, in the last few years, summer starts in June. April or May. Yep, yep, and it's full on come June. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're so right. So I, the climate's getting true. better for those of us who like the heat. Yeah, but you know, even though in the rain, yeah, I do get annoyed with 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 the rain. But I mean, it's not bad. I, I bike to and from work every day year round, and. It's not that bad. I mean, there I will mean, be some drizzle. I mean, that shows your tolerance of the rain in a way. Yeah, you've got some tolerance that yeah. I do not have for yeah. that. And 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 it's it's the the setup too. I mean, 
you know, it, it's, it's not easy to have that dialed in, right? We see bike lanes all over the place and trying to encourage biking and, you know. Like and I said, you like that, this yeah. better NATO thing, that kind of stuff. Do you like that? No, not really. I, I, I don't think. It... <laughs> okay, I learned something. So I learned something uh, recently, relatively recently, from City Hall <laughs> that um, the reason, one of the reasons we have so many bike lanes is because there are federal packages of money, and they we only get the money if we build the bike lanes. So our roads would be far worse if we didn't have as many bike lanes. That is new information to me. Way Did you worse. know this? How? I mean, they're already well, pretty bad. Well, we wouldn't get federal infrastructure money if we weren't willing to build all these bike lanes. Well, okay. But That's the, what they're saying. But the money goes into a, a dang bike lane. I mean, there's potholes all over the place. I see streets I know, in but allegedly form. it would be worse. Our infrastructure would be worse. How could it get any worse? I mean, <laughs> you don't... I mean, you don't maintain it. Unless you're actively demolishing the street, if you don't maintain it, how, how does it get any worse than that uh, as opposed to active destruction? Okay, so we're <laughs> drinking scotch. This is my first time drinking scotch. We're going to turn to scotch. <laughs> We've talked about the weather and the bike lanes. I need to turn to scotch. Tell me about scotch because I don't know anything about it and and you need to educate me. I like, I'm enjoying it. Good, good. I I thought you might like, I'll give you one. It's one of my favorites. So, uh, you know, I really. And this is called what? Lagavulin. And you visited this, what, a distillery? Yes, it's a distillery on the island of Isla. Isla is about oh, 25 minutes in the air. How many black people Club. were at this distillery when you were there? Was it just you? Just me, yeah. But you're used to being the only one, so that wasn't, it wasn't yeah. weird. Well, you, you you know my background. Yes, Portland. It was, Catlin. It was not weird. It, to Catlin, be, it was not weird to be in Scotland. Yeah. You. Yeah. Not you at were all. like, this feels like home. Yeah. It's, it's wet. <laughs> it's green. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of white people. Yeah, and in fact, the the terrain driving from the Cairngorm National Park up to the Isle of Skye, and then from the Isle of Skye back down to Glasgow, at that time of the year, it it looked a lot like um, Oregon. You know, you could. That's why I have no interest in it. It it looked like Oregon. I still have no interest in it. It's it's oh, it's beautiful. I've heard. Would... I I'm interested in Dublin. <laughs> It's like a stopover for a couple of days on my way somewhere, but I'm mm-hmm. just, I, if I want green beauty, I can, I've got it. I don't know. I just can't buy into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the culture in Scotland, there's, there's the scotch mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> just the experience driving on the right hand side of the car. Do you, do you, do you consider yourself a centrist? Do you consider yourself center left center? Where do you fall politically? Mm. Or I'd do you s- refuse to say? No, I don't know. I I definitely say I'm a I'm a centrist, right? Definitely. And how long centrist. has that always been true? Yeah. How long has that been? I mean, you you're a no on one ten. I mean, you obviously saw Hard writing no. on the wall way before I did. Yeah. Uh, See, like, did you hear Vicky's episode? So, like, Vicky wrote in Joey Hardesty for sheriff. <laughs> I mean, v- Vicky voted for Vicky. I mean, not, I don't, you know, obviously she voted for an A the second time around, but mm-hmm. when Vicky Payne from Portland Party came on, she, um, I, I was not as far left as Vicky, but I, mm-hmm. I had that evolution in it's very similar to Vicky's where I was considered myself very progressive left and just mm. 2020 thought everybody left 
the building, um, I thought like all of our ideas about um, our progressive ideas, which I thought were literally progress as mm-hmm. opposed to, like you said, progressing, progressing toward, now we're progressing towards crime. Um, progressing in a way that protected vulnerable communities from crime. I mean, it didn't surprise me at all when the polling finally came out and black communities said, we feel over-policed, but we do want police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that Obama we, funded the police. Yeah. The we want the police seems to have been lost. Somewhere That's a luxury in, belief. In that is a luxury belief. This defund, abolish police stuff. That That's for people who are not besieged by crime. Yeah, because all of, all of my family, my dad, his sisters, they're they're not having any of that. They're not on board with that mess. <laughs> they aren't. So what was the feeling in your family during the quote-unquote racial reckoning of 2020? Was there, was there any discussion at all? Uh, well, the discussions that I had with my my dad and other family members, they, they thought it was pretty ridiculous. Is this just a bunch of white people engaging in performative, yeah, destructive I mean, garbage? Yeah, I mean, how many black folks did you see down there in front of the courthouse and, I, and out? I don't remember any. Yeah, not not many. I don't not remember many. black leaf blower dads. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, not even no, no any shade. Yeah, yeah, no. That's, I mean, the the elections last November, I think, um, illustrate that, right? The demographic that voted. Uh, yeah, for. I mean, Renee Gonzalez's demographic was e- a huge swath of people east of two hundred five, which, although, yeah, uh, people cannot prove that the actual voters were diverse. That is the most diverse area of Portland, well, period. we know where most of the blacks in Portland live. The highest concentration East percentage. County. Yes, yes. So, I mean, that's pretty pretty broad. I mean, they make up the majority, so... <laughs> I mean... And so were you getting all these... Like, there was this weird phenomenon of white people apologizing to black people... And wanting to engage in discussions. Uh, did you get a lot of that or any of that? No. And fortunately, I, I didn't because I don't, I don't think people would have uh, liked my response to that. I, I thought that was just ridiculous. It's like, you know, you, you want to confess, go to church and do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, ser- seriously, like, did you have something to do with it? Did you single-handedly drive that? It's just... It was completely pointless, and uh, it, it was it, to me that was like a fad, like that stupid mannequin challenge, right? Here today, gone tomorrow. What's the mannequin challenge? Was that a TikTok thing? <sighs> yeah, it was a social media thing. You know, I'm not a, I'm not big with that stuff. But it was like you get a big group of people, and they would all like pose some way, oh, okay. and you'd have okay. like a shoot. Or so out of it, but yeah. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> just some of the ridiculousness that that comes out now. And so do you think we're doing, I mean, what are your thoughts about the city? Because I vacillate. I go back and forth between we're headed in the right direction mm-hmm. and then something comes down the pike and I think uh, we're, nothing can help us. I, what are your thoughts about, I mean, we talked about the state legislature, which I think we both agree is 
might be it has room to grow. Yeah, uh, room for maybe the craziest body of government right now, which is saying a lot. Do yeah. you do? We, do you think that's right? Yeah, I think so. Do you think the city's headed in the right direction? I think it's 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 trying. I mean, we defeated capital gains. Mm-hmm. We brought in Julia Brim Edwards in the county. Yep, we've got Gonzalez in there. We have maps. Yep. Sometimes but. we have Wheeler. Sometimes we have Ryan. Sometimes we even have Rubio. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we've got Sharon Myron, who's not chair, which. So that means she's just kind of a sock puppet, but she is writing yeah, powerful op-eds as a sitting commissioner, calling out her not quite her boss, but the lady in charge of all the money. Yeah, who's, mm-hmm. uh, she has to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a that was a big one. I, I was really happy to see that. You know, it it seems like a two steps forward, one step back. Mm, I agree. Maybe two steps to the right. You know, one forward to the left. It's but, I mean, to look at it from a physics standpoint, I'd say as far as being headed in the wrong direction, we're decelerating, right? Are we ever going to roll back this homeless stuff? You know, Wheeler's saying we have to open up sanctioned camps so that we can comply with this crazy Tina Kotek legislation. I think God. it's 3115, which just kind of quietly passed under our noses. Yeah, didn't that like, uh, and legalize like, the camping or it protected it? Some, it really something. protected it. I mean, it gives... Yeah, it's like taking Martin versus Boise to the next level. Well, it, oh, it to, the to the weight, to the pedal to the metal. Yeah, and from what I understand, uh, you know, a lot of this citing... Yeah, it is 3115. Okay. But a, a lot of citing this Martin versus Boise uh, precedent. I just don't think it's is, that restrictive. Yeah, it, it's so subject I mean, it's to interpretation. Helpful, yeah, and But it's not that know. restrictive. No, it, it, it's it's not at all. I mean, you can, you, can, you can still disallow structures on the street. Yeah, you just need somewhere for them to go, and you need to prove that there's somewhere for them to go. And currently, I feel like we can meet that no problem. I think that... The issue, according to reasonable people that work in City Hall, is that is House Bill 3115, which is Kotek's parting gift for us before she went into the uh, gubernatorial mansion. Yeah. And it, crea- it says laws have to be reasonable as of the time, place, and manner that homeless people are allowed to be in public spaces. And, and if a homeless person perceives it as unreasonable... They can sue, and they get their attorney fees. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, didn't that get shot down? No, that was the confam bill that said that they can be in public spaces literally whenever they want. Oh, okay. So th- and that- then if you kick them out, they can sue. And this Tina Kotek bill is House Bill three one one five from two thousand one. That set, declares an emergency. It was a course sponsored by Maxine Dexter. No surprise there. Lisa Reynolds, all the characters, Dembro, Manning Jr. Uh, Fam is not on here, which is weird, although I don't know that she was in yet. Yeah, and she, she got on later. There we go. And um, no, this, this one says um, that a person experiencing homelessness, and this is law may bring suit for injective or declaratory relief to challenge the objective reasonableness of a city or county law 
The action must be brought in circuit court of the county that enacted the law or the county in which the city that enacted the law is located. Reasonableness is determined based on the totality of the circumstances, including but not limited to the impact of the law on homeless people. Wow. Yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and it says... The impact on homeless people. That seems a little vague. I mean, can we... Yeah, I know. And it says it's an affirmative defense to a charge of violating a law. So, so you could have a law that says you, you cannot camp in the middle of the sidewalk. And as a defense to that law, you can, according to this bill, say that it's not objectively reasonable based on a homeless person's standard of reasonableness. Hmm. Standard of reasonableness. A homeless person's standard yep. of reasonableness. Yep. Hmm. And any city or county law that regulates the acts of sitting, lying, sleeping, or keeping warm and dry outdoors on public property that is open to the public must be objectively reasonable as to time, place, and manner. So time, right? Hours, place, where, manner, sit, lie with regards to persons experiencing homelessness. That seems a little ambiguous to me. Uh, in any suit. Now, so they don't get, I, I misspoke, they don't get attorney fees, but... The court, in its discretion, and we know what the courts in Multnomah County are mm, like, mm-hmm. the courts, court in its discretion may award reasonable attorney fees to a prevailing plaintiff, to a prevailing person suing, right? So if the person was not, uh, it says, well, you know, a couple, some legal jargon stuff, but, you know, if it, they have to fulfill some procedural requirements, which mm-hmm. I think the Oregon Justice Resource Center would be happy to do for them. <laughs> no charge. Um, which, you know, that's, that's their role, and I think... Um, that's their totally their right to uh, engage in that uh, business, but I, I certainly think there's a line of them waiting for homeless people to represent uh, for House Bill three one one five, and they're just kind of I think they're just kind of waiting for uh, uh, Wheeler to make a wrong move mm-hmm. and to ban camping so they can bring one of these lawsuits. And so yeah. according to City Hall, that's why they're opening up these urban alchemy sites run mm-hmm. by this um, group it's that California Michael Schoenberger characterized as, quote-unquote, Orwellian uh, and said that there was a stillborn baby found in the porta potty mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. one of these places where there, it w- was essentially an open-air drug market. Um mm-hmm. But I talked to somebody in City Hall who says they were at the one the urban alchemy sites in LA and they were really impressed and they felt like oh. they were engaged in a Kevin Dahlgren style of outreach and that they had law rules. Uh, Grant Denton, who was on this podcast, has a pod center in Reno and Washoe County in Nevada, and he's got a bunch of rules there. And they said it was run similarly, um, and that, that the drug dealers were not allowed to hang out outside of these camps, which is very different than what Michael Schellenberger describes in San Francisco. Yeah. So that sounded interesting, and I don't know which one we're going to get. I don't know if we're going to get the San Francisco Urban Alchemy or the L.A. Urban Alchemy. But let's hope and pray we get the L.A. style. Yes. Because allegedly the site is going to be like 15-minute walking distance from Cleveland High School, this first site that we're paying like, what, $5 bucks for Urban Alchemy to just manage Con- that's, that's year annual, after year. Yep. Annual, annual contract. contract. We signed a contract. We're in the wrong business, Kristen. Well, <laughs> that's abundantly clear. <laughs> I've been saying that over and over again. We need to run some kind of nonprofit for. I don't. You need to be the face of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an affinity nonprofit. 
<laughs> we don't judge. They, they, no, <laughs> absolutely right? not. I mean, that seems to be the only growing industry. In Nonprofits Portland. and government. If you yeah. want to do well, <laughs> you will work for a nonprofit or government or both. Because yeah. as Duncan Wong will tell you, um, we need people running nonprofits to continue to get paid by those nonprofits and to work for for governmental entities like Metro that funds those nonprofits, and we can do that because we're going to recuse ourselves from those votes. Yep. And, and he won, and he's on Metro. Metro. Yeah. And we don't have to worry about accountability. Well, that's right, because um, because if you do anything like Mingus Maps did with the Clean Energy Fund, now that mm. is a boondoggle. If you do anything like he did and request to see the nonprofit 990s, mm-hmm. Joanne Harsey will accuse you, a black man, of being a racist. <laughs> yeah. I've been called a, a racist a few times. Oh, I'm sure you have. <laughs> In this city, I'm sure you have. Probably by white people, even. Imagine that, huh? So what I think is amazing, too, is this uh, that Reimagine Oregon, where... Renee Gonzalez and Mingus were saying, well, there's no, you guys aren't spending this money, these millions of dollars that we're giving you. I think it's millions. I don't know what it is. It's a heck of a lot of money. It was at least a million. Yeah. And where is it going? And nobody could say. And apparently they're, so according to somebody else I talked to at City Hall, they are generating so much gosh darn money at this reimagined organ. They don't need the city money. (laughs) And that's why they're not using it. Oh, God. Wow. And, of course, uh, Dan Ryan voted with them to stop, reallocate the money and stop funneling it. Yeah, it was millions. You're right. So, I'm re- so Willamette mm-hmm. Week, Sophie Peel, who's just doing banger after banger in Willamette Week, April 12, yeah, 2023, she has. She big time has yeah, done I'm impressed by her. Oh, yeah. Uh, that LaMotta stuff that she's uncovering with that marijuana empire. She oh, brought yeah. down the Secretary of State, State? Shamia yes. Fagan. That was all her. She's bringing down Emerge Oregon, that <laughs> Democratic machine of, uh-huh. of women that they're producing. And Sharon Myron is assisting her with that and, and giving some really incredible quotes about how that they have turned into a... Um, a mach- literally a, politi- a political machine, not necessarily something that's lifting women up, but is only supporting people that are within their, um, their particular race. ideology yeah. and their, yeah, that are just, um, is a really a fan club for, for a, some kind of political machine as opposed to lifting people up who have good ideas. Good and so the, the Sophie Peel article from April 12, 2023 says uh, millions of cannabis tax dollars and the way it's been allocated since the George Floyd protests. Mingus Maps on Wednesday proposed cutting millions in funding for racial justice advocacy group called Reimagine Oregon that's slated to receive $5.8 million <laughs> and carried over <laughs> cannabis tax funds from the city. Oh, my God. My the city council approved the budget amendment by 3-2 to two with Maps, Gonzalez, and Ryan voting in support of it. The council will vote on the entire budget next week. Maps claimed Reimagine Oregon has failed for four years to get dollars out the door. The executive director blamed the Office of Civic and Community Life, which oversees the city's cannabis tax fund, and said the office had not been a partner in getting the money distributed. I mean, there's so much yeah. damn finger pointing. Yeah, I remember that, that that city council. So why did they need the the city to? Like, I, I don't. It's, it's not clear to me why they were unable to do it, why the city had had to help. What, don't. <laughs> what am I missing here? Maps asked him... Uh, 
Justice Raji. I hope I'm yeah. pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, sorry, you asked him like multiple times. Yeah, multiple um, times. How have how has the advocacy group helped with the city dollars? None, because they're still at the city. We're trying to figure out the process to get the dollars out of the city so we can activate the funds. Oh my God, so, this is bureaucracy yeah. run amok. So literally, city, yeah. So the city is withholding funds from you. Right, and I think Mingus was asking questions about that. Could not get an answer out of these people. Yeah, I remember if, that. I yeah, remember, I remember that. I'm like, wow, this. Kid. Yes. Right, and and then of course Dan Ryan went back on that vote, and now the money will be transferred over, and maybe they will figure out how to remove it from city coffers, and if they cannot. I don't know. Will it just will the millions just continue to carry over indefinitely into this reimagine Oregon thing? Which, as I remember, they also couldn't explain what they do. Yeah, that was. That's and I remember thing. Mingus saying, "Let's." The first person who testified couldn't even explain what they did. Yeah. And then he said, "I'll bring deferred. up the next guy to explain yep, what we it. did." I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty embarrassing um, stunt there. I, I was surprised. I mean, if I was running a business, uh, I've and I'm going to testify in front of city council. I'm at least going to have those bases covered at a minimum. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. I mean, if you watch the city it's council testimony, it's our money. Jeez, boy, it's kind of incredible. Um, yeah, I did. You watch that? I did. I, I watched it in. Wasn't shock. that amazing? Yeah, it, 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 it completely was. And he he was trying to bust Mingus's chops. And it's just like, wow, he's asking you some legitimate questions. And you don't have answers for them. I mean, you're, you're running a business. You're getting millions of dollars. And you can't answer these basic questions about what services you're providing. Yeah. I, and so that that's it's a great example of the way our city is just flushing money into these groups and we don't even know what they're doing with it or what they're not doing with it or what they're supposed to be doing and taxes continue to rise and new ones are imposed how do you explain that so obviously we voted against the capital gains tax but i think part of that was because it wasn't a quote-unquote rich tax and people finally realized that that it could come out of their money even if they didn't have a lot of money Mm mm-hmm well, Do you I mean, agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, just, I mean, the, the sale of a house, right? Married finally jointly, you've got a half-million-dollar exemption at the federal level, right? Right. That, that, that has nothing to do with the state level. Yeah, but how do you... So do you think that these rich, quote-unquote, rich taxes are going to continue to pass? I think so. I mean, as long as we have... Well, as, that's I mean, not good. I mean, as long as we have people that are you know, pissed off about living in apartments, they can't afford a house, and they see landlords and homeowners as privileged, you know, evil people that have a bunch of money, and, you know, business owners, other people that have a, a bunch of money. You know, it, as, as long as they turn out in, in greater numbers to vote for this, then, then yeah, they're, they're, they're going to pass. So hopefully that, that trend doesn't uh, continue. I mean, I, I think more people own homes in... In Portland, then don't, right? Yeah, but they may not fall within those income brackets, and I think a lot of the people that did fall yeah. in those income brackets have moved to Washington, Clackamas, or out of the state. 
like that Effinger article says. I mean, I think we've lost. Yeah. What a was it a billion with a B dollars over a billion dollars, and it was only fourteen thousand taxpayers. Wow! Wow! So that, yeah, that and there, that there was IRS data that Eric Happel was um, talking about. Very he cool. he's a big data Nike guy, and mm-hmm. he was he, he was he's going to come on here. I'm going to have him talk about this, but he was talking about how. Um, He's looked at these IRS numbers, mm-hmm. and it was only fourteen thousand taxpayers. Wow! And so fourteen thousand um, of them have they filed whatever form to change their residence with the IRS. I'm guessing. Yeah, I think that. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's when you when you change your 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 residence from one state to another, you, there's a, a form like notification of something or another that you file. So. So yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, when you think about it, these these taxes and like this this gross tax, the that's the supportive housing tax on gross receipts. Like, are you kidding? I I know <laughs> I know. What the hell? Okay, here it is. So what did he say? He said only fourteen thousand taxpayers, mm-hmm. and it's. How much money? 1.1 billion with a B. Yeah. 1.1 billion in taxable revenue is leaving Multnomah County. Wow. Has left. Excuse me. Not leaving. They've left. left. And it's only 14,000 taxpayers. Wow. And Eric looked at the IRS numbers and crunched them and he even put them up on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And then he said, here they are. And Mm -hmm. nobody fixed it. Nobody said, no, 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 that's not right. No, that's right. And that comports with the Anthony Effinger article they left um, that said uh, people are moving out of Multnomah County in droves because of the preschool tax, the metro housing tax. Yeah. Yeah. And the income, just the income tax. And then, of course, so when I was testifying at city council in regard to the body cameras, Wheeler gave us a lecture about we were somebody was talking about taxes and he said I want to remind everybody that we only pay income taxes and we don't pay sales taxes and I remember thinking dude what? I will gladly swap you our income tax rate which is the highest rate in the country except for as Anthony said so in this Willamette Week article Manhattan Manhattanites making I think five million or more a year oh wow okay. And see, the, the thing with a, a sales tax, right? So an income tax, that's a tax on your gross income, right? Right. It's it's everything before it even hits your account, right? A sales tax can... Is after ta- is af- yeah. after income tax dollars. It, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's only subject to net income. Right. And a subset of, of your net income at that. Right, you, you're not paying sales tax on certain grocery items and other such things. I right. mean, it's a, many things are exempted. Yeah, it's a very so small that it's subset. not a regressive tax. Yes, yes, and uh, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, I don't understand. Like people think about this, they're, 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 you're getting taxed on money that you don't even get. It's ridiculous that the Fed takes a chunk, and then the, the the state takes a chunk. Like, well, you know, hey, hey, state, the Fed already took a chunk, so you're taxing me on money that I, I don't even get. Oh, excuse me. It gets better, Patrick. So I'm looking at the Anthony Effinger article now. Portland now has the second highest total state and local income tax in the nation, 14.69%. Exceeded only by New York City at 14.78. So not by much. That's the top marginal tax rate, meaning you pay it only on income above 125,000. 
for individuals and 250000 for married couples filing together. By comparison, the only New Yorkers paying the top rate are those making not $5 million or more. I think I just memory hold this because it's so <laughs> shocking. $25 million or more. <laughs> Single or married. That wow. means plenty of non-plutocrat Oregonians are paying taxes rivaled only by those levied on Gotham millionaires. <laughs> And then he continues, of course, unfortunately, just as taxes went up, quality of life went down, way down. And it continues to go down. 101 homicides in Portland last year. And we are hitting record overdoses. Did you see that report from Elise Haas? That there's a recent report that is just chilling. So uh, Elise Haas from COIN, Mm -hmm. at least 85 overdose deaths have been recorded in 2023. 85 already. We are yeah. in May. Uh, well, the the problem there is uh, there's just not enough Narcan going around. Well, she says it's taking multiple doses to revive people. Oh. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. So what do you think, Patrick? You love you love it here. I mean, you are obviously, you could go anywhere. I mean, you could do tech stuff. Yeah, Portland is not the ideal place to do tech work. It's yeah. certainly not the ideal place to earn money, to own multiple properties. You could go anywhere. You obviously love it here. Are you in it for the long haul? You must be. Well, for the time being, I mean. What know. would it take to get you to leave? I mean, you're already paying the kind of tax rate that people in New York are paying if they make $25 million or more. So I don't know what how much further we could push you over the edge. Yeah, not much, not much further. You, you know, really what it would take... Um, a house somewhere else with a 2.6% mortgage. Yeah, so you have just locked in a really good mortgage rate. Yes, yes. So the economy overall would have to change. This bubble would have to burst. Mm -hmm. We'd have to go back to post um, post uh, crash, what, 2008? Post 2008 rates, I guess. Yes, yeah. Yeah, we would. Or really, just recently, because I just someone recently locked that that rate in. But it, did it, you really? No. Twenty twenty. Okay. Yeah. yeah, relatively recent. I see. Yeah, it's, yeah it's just a few years prior to inflation, of course. Yeah. So what was that a COVID rate? That's I interesting. I yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so you're saying the econ- the overall global economy would have to change. Yeah, I mean, and you know, also I've got it great now. It's a four-mile bike ride from my garage to the parking garage. You like your life. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I you know, four miles to work. And you're able to kind of, as as civically engaged as you are and Mm -hmm. as open as your eyes are in a way that mine weren't until relatively recently, I'm afraid to admit. Um, (laughs) Not afraid, but fine with admitting for some idiotic reason, but just, I, you know, I'm just going to own that I was part of the problem for a very long time. Um, A very short time. Well, I mean, over the long term, over, I would say, yeah, a short time because it, we just went downhill so quickly. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. That's very generous of you to say. But I would say, yeah, 2016 to 2020, we had this precipitous decline. And then my eyes were suddenly, I mean, they were open in 2016. I realized that was a problem. But then in 2020, I really had to start voting differently and pay attention to what I was voting to, mm-hmm. voting on Um post probably at the end of 2020 when I looked around and realized how badly things were going yeah um and then so you're saying that 
your quality of life, though, is very good, despite all of these things, which is kind of amazing. So you're, what, yeah. able to, you've, you've built this kind of comfortable bubble for yourself, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I, yeah. That's okay, right. well, so, nice and I think that's from. great, because we need people like you. And if you do leave, we're in trouble. Yeah, deeper, deeper trouble. I mean, yeah, it, it's tough, you know, I travel every year, you know, I, I, I don't have to worry about a car. My car sits in the garage most of the week. I mean, it's it's really nice. I get the exercise that I need. I can get the, the healthy foods that I need. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a really good setup. I mean, where else would I would I beat that, right? I mean, move somewhere else, you end up with a 25-minute commute to work. It, you know, that's one of the reasons I left Intel back when I did because, you know, 29-minute drive from home into the office and most of it's freeway so that's you know it's pretty far away and then you know almost an hour to get home and that's every day it's like i get get tired of that i mean now you know i I bike 20 minutes boom you know 20 20 minutes of exercise in the morning i'm in the office 20 more minutes of exercise i'm to the gym you know work out at the gym 20 more minutes of biking i'm back home i mean that's yeah and so you like kind of lifestyle that you built. And I, I, I think we need, fortunately, we have enough people like you to keep the wheels on this thing. Um, I don't know how much longer. Yeah, well, until it's time to retire because, I mean, I've, I've got to look at that. When Are you going to retire here? I don't know how anybody can retire here, Patrick. Yeah, that's... If you're pulling money out of the bank at those tax rates, it's gone so fast. Yeah, anytime you withdraw from a retirement account, you know, that's 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 added on to your, your income. I mean, it's tough. I mean, and it almost seems like in 20 years when I retire, I feel like I'm going to need the same salary I'm at now just to keep up with inflation and everything, right? I mean, yeah. if you... At least. Yeah, if you, if you think about it, and I don't think tax rates are going down. If anything, they're going to need to go up because, you know, 30% of your income 20 years from now, the the, the dollar value, it, it, it's, it's not going to match well, up. Well, Patrick, right? with all these people leaving, who's going to fund preschool for all? Well, We're going to need those retirement dollars. Don't the dollars. feds already do that? Don't, don't we already have programs? I mean... You know what? We do. We have something called Head Start. We also have Preschool Promise, yeah. which the state has bungled horrifically and which we are paying dearly for mm-hmm. and no, I don't know anybody benefiting from that and I don't know any I know one person benefiting from preschool for all that I've relatively figured out relatively newly figured out is benefiting from that and otherwise nobody I wonder what the cost per head is for this I this know preschool. that I know that what, it, what, what is uh, it? through Al- Alyssa Pishka mm-hmm. who came on to talk about um who came on here to talk about the capital gains tax, actually. Mm. Um, so what she said, let's see. She figured it out. She's a numbers person. And she took an article from Willamette Week mm-hmm. that was a uh, well, capital gains article by Anthony. Anthony Effinger, February 9th, 2023. Um, preschool for all tax coffers overflow as wealthy payers reap capital gains. Um, like PCEF before it, the, um, isn't that the energy fund? PC, Portland Clean Energy Community Benefits Fund. Yep, that boondoggle. Um, like the Clean Energy Fund, the preschool tax is raising unexpected bumper sums. 
So Alyssa, Alyssa took that article and divided by 1,400 kids, which is how many it serves. Okay. And it's, let's see, it's at least $70,000 per preschooler. $70,000. At least. So that assumes the very low-end annual revenue of $100 million based on years prior, and apparently it's exceeding that handily and so it's probably over 70 but it's wow. around i don't know we'll round a hundred thousand per that's two years of, of high school at Catlin right there <laughs> it's an ivy league it's it's at least a couple years probably or or a year and change of an ivy league education my god yeah then we're paying for it anybody um it's it's not a it's not a millionaire's tax. Um, that is mind-boggling. Seventy grand a head. So it oh, raised one hundred eighty-seven million, uh, June thirtieth, twenty twenty-two, up from a projected, Jesus, up from a projected one hundred nineteen million. So almost fifty percent more. Yeah, almost. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, so that's so. Elisa was assuming. Where's it all going? A hundred million. It's actually twice that. So it's really <laughs> one forty. Because if we, if Anthony's right, mm-hmm. and we've raised almost two hundred million dollars, that's seventy times two. Yeah, one forty. Yep. Per preschooler, annually. That's incredible. Divided by fourteen hundred kids. Yep. So she was just assuming the very, very low end of that. So that's wow. just amazing. The windfall probably came from capital gains because state data shows they rose last year about 20% of the revenue. Comes from around 100 returns. So just 100 people, most of that comes from. Funded that. Wow. I bet those people are free. But what's so weird is the program is funded by personal income tax of 1.5% on taxable income over 125000 for individuals. Over 125000 that's just not that much. No, I mean... Is that, that, is that AGI or is that... Uh, it's like the, the, you know, it's that's the pre-tax dollars. Okay, so it's on gross income then. So your deductions don't don't lower that, that liability. For, for example... I don't think so. I mean, wow. Anthony wow. doesn't go into it. Okay. Well, because I mean that, that that's important because some people can really get their income down, right? Maybe. I mean, if you're if your AGI is clocking in at you know one one twenty five, then you're you're obviously grossing more. Right? It's just incredible. Wow. I, no matter how you slice it, it's that's yeah that's that's a lot of money for for such a thing. And you know, I I would ask, can we quantify the benefit for this money that's been put in? What are some tangible results? What are some benefits that the people who have funded this have received? I mean, it, even if these people didn't receive benefits, can we point out some some benefits? I mean, do we have to have test scores? What what data substantiates? I mean, if you're at the high end of Portland Police Bureau, mm-hmm. you're in the low hundreds. Do some overtime. Yeah, it doesn't you'll overtime. hit that. Yeah, probably. Twenty twenty, ton of them hit it. I bet. Mm, oh. 2020? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's 
There, there are a lot of people. Wow. And assuming be, they're married and you know filing jointly, that's 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 just one person's income. So in 2020, there was uh, here we go. There's an article in the Oregonian, and there weren't many of them, but geez, some of them made a lot. Uh, 2020, October 18th, 2020. In the Oregonian, the captain, Mark Kruger, made $265,225. Highest paid employee in the Portland Police Bureau. Nice. <laughs> uh, there were 15 that made more than 200000 Wow. Um, which is a lot more than the one twenty five, which is the high end of like a lateral hire. And yeah. it says was driven by overtime. Mm. There you go. So uh, 728 made more than 100000 so 728 bureau employees, police bureau employees, made more than 100000 And I wonder how many hit that 125 mark as an individual or more. And if they have a spouse, the spouse is probably working. Yeah. Well, um, they, they, they hit it a lot. Well, is, is there any And that's 200 or more with a spouse, spouse if you're okay. filing jointly. So I just think, I mean, these are a lot, some, you know, I've met most of the police officers that I've met have a graduate education. Amazingly, wow. I mean, we have a very educated police force, but there are people in the police force with a high school education. Mm-hmm. And certainly like at the firefighters, there are people with a high school education. You can make a very good living. Yeah. Um, so there you go. They're paying into the preschool tax. Wow. Wow. And if more people like that leave, but you said how many, how many people, uh, contributed to that that number i mean imagine if half of them left right well they're they're according to anthony's article well and according to eric apple's irs data they are leaving and 1.1 billion dollars of revenue is gone and i think that's why jessica was camp jessica vega peterson the chair Mm -hmm. in Multnomah county was campaigning against this capital gains tax because she knows it would cut into her preschool coffers (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. Well, I appreciate that you're here for the long haul. What do you? What if anything do you want to say before we wrap up here? Uh, well, I hope to see Portland restored to its former glory at uh, at some point. You know, I've got involved um, politically because just sitting on the side doing nothing will yield nothing, right? And uh, that's... What pushed you over the edge to get involved politically, though? Because you were not always as civically... I mean, you had opinions, but you weren't as actively civically engaged, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think I just got got tired of it. You know, just looking around, you know, biking to work, seeing all the, the things that I've seen. Remember. Pre-COVID, post-COVID... Was there a breaking point? It started in 2016 when Choo Choo Charlie rolled out the red carpet. And, you know, I've been biking to work ever since on on the regular, and I've just seen it getting progressively worse and worse and worse, and taxes going up and up and up. And, you know, I see it, it, it needs to stop. And a lot of rhetoric I hear is just irrational, ill-informed and mm. ill-conceived. So, you know, you can't just stand idle. I mean... So you started getting... Did you start getting involved in politically then in 2016? Or was it post that? No, it was definitely post that. I mean... So you started getting... Um, really, you were dissatisfied. 
in 2016, and then you start getting involved, what, 2020? Twenty, really more so last last year. Yeah. Let's say, right? You know, I did a did a video for the for the Portland party, speaking out against Harvesty. Yeah. That was the first. That was huge. Yeah, that was the first big, big step, and. You know, I look back. Were you in that Renee Gonzalez video that that Jesse and Breon were in? Oh, I don't know. You were in a number of videos, though. Yeah, and you were front facing, as just as yourself. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people. But a lot of people. You're laughing, but a lot of people were scared <laughs> to say that they were voting for Renee. Yeah. I mean, I know people that were didn't want to admit it. Yeah, I was. I mean, you know, also being a person of color I, I don't think you know I mean unless somebody really wants Dare to start somebody something. to yeah yeah to speak to you about that yeah yep and you know just looking back I remember I really started kind of to get annoyed and see this um this lackadaisical millennial quote attitude when I was in college, right? I was, you know, busting my butt, going to work, going to school, spending my money on tuition, you know, giving thousands of dollars to Portland State instead of, you know, buying some nice clothes or going out and eating. and Doing something fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, I really couldn't even date because I didn't have any money. I'm not trying to, you know, get a check in like, you know, your card's declined. Right. You know, back in those days. And when I finally put my head up and like, wow, you know, I've been busting my butt doing all this work and I'm looking around and, you know, this person's complaining about, about, you know, how this person pissed them off. And it's just the complaints people had. It's like, seriously? Like, uh, man, like, what are you talking about? You've got it easy. Like, try, try doing my life, okay? And, you know, as that continued and, you know, I kept making sacrifices, doing things I would rather not do. You know, I'd rather have, have fun. You know, it, it starts to, to build up. It's like, wait a minute, you know, I've, you know, managed to have these achievements and, and do these things because I've delayed gratification. I've put in extra work. I've done things that I would rather not have done. Some of the things I hated doing. But, you know, I un- understood that there's no other route to where I want to be without going through that. And, you know, that's just... It just came to realize, and it's like, wait a minute. And, you know, I feel like I know what I'm talking about because given my situation and all that's happened in my past and where I'm at now, it's like, what better outcome could I have expected, right? I mean, maybe if I played a lottery and won, that's, that would have been a better outcome. But, but yeah, that's, that's it. Well, I thank you for your work in support of rationality. And I'm glad that we met through those channels and became friends. And I really appreciate everything you're doing to that end to make Portland great. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you.